Hi, I'm Miranda Ray Mayo, also known as Mr. Mayo. I play Stella Kid on Chicago Fire, and you are listening to Meet Us at Molly's. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hey, Shy Hearts, we're back with new episodes. We survived the hiatus. Yeah. I feel like we haven't done this in 10 years. <laughs> I know. We it feels like we haven't. It really feels I mean, like I we know haven't. we recorded like a random episode last week, but like I feel like we haven't talked about new content in like 10 years. And oh boy, do we have new content for you today. Oh my god. I'm just so glad because we kind of talked about it last week a little bit that we had seen fire and PD. We still ne- we never got a med screener, but like the fact that we can now finally talk about what we've seen is very exciting to me. Oh my God. It's been killing me. Not that I don't like love talking to you, to you about one Chicago, but like, oh, I wanted to fangirl about so many things so many well, times. And, well, and there were so many conversations you and I were talking about it last night, two nights ago. Well, I don't remember when, but like, just even in like the group or like our Patreon group or whatever about like Hakami and other things. And I was like, I want to comment, but I can't comment because I know things and that'll, I have spoiler things I want to say. So like, I can't comment, but right now I can comment. I just like, oh, oh. yeah. So you'll notice that it's a kind of a supersized episode today. We've got not one, but two interviews for you today. Two. It's been a busy week. Yeah, it's been a week, but like a very good one. A really good one. A really, really good one. So we talked with both LaRoyce and Miranda this week, which like, what is our life? What? I know. And they're just, they're both so great. And one of the things I love about both those interviews is that they're both really thoughtful with their answers. And you can tell that like, they've thought about these things outside of doing press and stuff. And like, they've really thought about, you know, certain topics and how they relate to their characters and whatever. And like they, you can tell they just think about these things a lot. And I just, I love that. And so I loved both of those conversations. Yeah. So the timestamps on both of those are in the show notes. LaRoyce's interview is also up on our YouTube channel. So definitely check that out. Uh, yeah. So lots of good stuff today. Lots of good stuff. We are so glad to be back. Just Yes. So glad. So yes. Glad. Lots of stuff coming too. And yeah, we're really excited. So yeah, super excited. We're also really excited to kind of yell about these episodes because, oh my God, both good yelling and bad yelling. Yeah. Okay. Let's get through the news first and then we can commence the yelling. Okay. So first bit of news, Variety. Don't forget friend of the pod, Emily Longrida has now taken her talents <laughs> over to Variety. What's yes. the LeBron line? She took her talents to South Beach, quite literally. Yeah. So- <laughs> Emily's over at Variety now. <laughs> like we haven't recorded for like six weeks. You know, I've got like really bad cliche is just like pent up to throw out there. That was a good one though. I try. I try. Okay. So some of Emily's first pieces are coming down. And one of those included a big interview with Chicago Fire showrunner Derek Hass this week. And the article that came out said, you know, Derek Hass on how FBI International is breaking boundaries, balancing Chicago fire and Jesse Spencer's expected return. All right, cool. You had me at FBI International, but go on. Okay, but real quick, I just, are you caught up on FBI International? Because I am not. I I started, I think I might be one behind. I think Um, I'm like two I don't even know if I've seen anything from 2022 I don't even know 
The one I started, they were in this like Eastern European territory that was controlled by Moldova and it was kind of hostile, like started with a T. I can't remember. Transnistria, something like that. I started it. I haven't finished it. Yeah, I know I'm behind, but definitely really enjoy it. I just, I know I'm behind. I can't believe you still don't ship Forrester and Kellett. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> There's no sugarcoating it. I don't. Look, Derek does many things very well. And one of those is he writes lovesick puppy men very well. I, I, I just don't. I don't know. There was a question on Valentine's Day from the CBS account that was like, you know, who, which FBI team member do you choose as your Valentine? And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, OA Forrester, OA Forrester. Like, <laughs> like, why not both? That's not fair. Oh, that is a tough question, though. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I maybe I think I'd go OA. Yeah. Like, why can't I choose two? Because like, I maybe, yeah, OA is like, OA is a little bit more laid back. Like, Forrester's a very together person i don't want to call him uptight but he's very like together always pretty he's also uptight but like not in a bad way no not in a bad way but he is yeah yeah welcome to meet us at the fbi <laughs> anyway anyway so here's a couple of good quotes from emily's article so here's one from derek derek said we are on scope for a wedding episode this season i would write it down maybe not in ink but as close to ink as you get uh, he, that's what he said about hinting as to the Stella ride wedding. Okay. So just like any shy herd who's been around for a minute, I think the reaction that we all had was like, yay. Oh shit. It's going to be the finale. Do you think it's going to be finale? Yep. I don't, I don't know. I would, I don't know. I don't know what I want. <laughs> well, I think we all want a normal, like drama yeah, but I'm wedding. Saying, like, like I finales obviously are typically a lot bigger of episodes, you know, whatever. So like, do I want the Celeride wedding to be in the finale? Because then it would maybe be a bigger event, you know, whatever. But if it is in the finale, then that means it's a finale. So, and it's Derek. So like, or do I want just yeah. like it to be like a smaller thing, but be in a normal episode and you know, whatever. Yeah. So Miranda does touch on this briefly in, in our interview with her. So definitely check that out to hear what she has to say. But if it's a finale, yes, it is a bigger, grander event, but that also means that it's going to be followed by like a bigger, grander cliffhanger, cliffhanger. slash heartbreak. Yeah. I, I just imagine it if it ends up being in a, in the finale, I just imagine it being like the Naily wedding in season three, where like it was a happy wedding and then shit hit the fan. And I just Until like, I can't the limo went off the bridge. Yeah, oh, I just, I'm not there. I can't handle that. So I honestly would rather it be a lot smaller and like three episodes ahead of the finale than be in the finale. I wonder if Derek has ever actually seen One Tree Hill. Um, and now that we've put it out there, I'm kind of scared because now I'm afraid he's going to pull it up and go look and be like, oh, that's a good idea. We haven't careened a limo off a bridge yet. No, but they did careen the Ambo off the bridge in the season nine and they also careened a car off a bridge in pd this week yeah that too oh my gosh i just like i feel like we should start a pool on like how that episode is gonna end like what kind of disaster is it going to end with what are you talking about the celluloride wedding specifically or like the finale or both like both 
both. If the Stella Ride wedding is in the finale, what disaster does it end with? Okay, but then there's a whole other question of like, so where is the Stella Ride wedding? Which we touch on a little bit with Miranda because I feel like that changes everything, right? Like if it's in the cabin, then I feel like maybe it's more inclined to be disaster because obviously it's out in the woods, you're more secluded, you're by the water, disaster <laughs> cabin. <laughs> I'm thinking up scenarios and I'm doing that horrible thing where I make myself laugh. <laughs> You know what I'm saying though? Like I feel like where it is changes too. Like I'm no, no, we're gonna we're gonna stay focused and we're not gonna oh my make god, jokes we tonight. should do oh my god, no. Great idea for a bonus episode. We should plan the Stellaride, like our <gasps> version of the Stellaride wedding. Oh, like down genius. to like like from like wedding songs to like decor. We're gonna that's a bonus episode. We're gonna plan our versions of the Stellaride wedding. Okay, so universe willing, we're planning to see each other this weekend, like live actually in person. Universe willing. If it happens, can we do it then? That would be so much fun. Oh my god, Saturday night. Yes. I'll bring the wine. Done. Beautiful. <laughs> Done deal. Done, Done. deal. Good. Done. It's happening. It's happening. Perfect. We plan it out. I'll, I'll write down all the categories of like, you know, um, things, to, yes. things to consider. Yeah. Perfect. Oh Done. my God. Done. Oh. Done. Love it. I love best it. Best idea. Best idea we've ever had. Yeah. Best. So yeah. So um, we'll just, we'll just talk about that. The mental image I just had about thinking about possible disasters at the cabin, just like. And that has to be a category, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Potential disasters. Like so we're going to have, it's going to be like, you know, wedding songs, you know locations potential wedding disasters like it's why, gonna happen why wasn't that a family feud question when we did the olympics two weeks ago i don't know but it's happening <laughs> show me plane crash <laughs> so oh, derek also says of course a stellar red wedding would also mark the return of a familiar face Jesse Spencer exited the show in October, but his character Casey is still very much a part of the story as Severide's best friend who has temporarily moved away. And Derek said, I would be mortified if there was a wedding that didn't include Casey. Uh, And he also said that he's really enjoying Casey being part of the story via his long distance relationship with Brett. And he says, it would have felt like cheating after having them building that relationship over so many seasons and then just throwing it away because of production demand. So we thought it was realistic, especially in this day and age, that people can keep a relationship going. It's been fun for us because we love Casey so much as writers that we want to keep we want him to keep his presence. How do you feel about this? I, I, I have feelings and I haven't quite processed them. I mean, honestly, I think it makes me feel good. Like. Obviously, if Jesse doesn't want to return or isn't quite ready to return yet, then that's okay. And that's up to him. And he can, obviously, he should live his life the way he wants to. Mm -hmm. But it makes me feel good that, like, this is what they want. And, like, obviously, the plan, I think, as to make it clear, is that, like, when Jesse is ready to return, Casey's going to come back. Is how I'm taking it is that and you know and I and like I think it makes sense too right like I can't imagine a Stellaride wedding without Casey yeah that's, that's and like I mean again if Jesse isn't ready to return yet that's a different story and obviously he should live his life the way he wants to live it that's mm-hmm. totally fine I respect that but like if he is willing to come back for an episode like I'm just glad that they are like no like duh like of course Casey would be there Right. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, he's got to be. I, I think I'm just, I'm still like, not that I'm still processing him leaving. I'm still just trying to reconcile, like, how do I bookmark this in my brain? Do I like put a full stop on it and be like, he's never coming back? Or do I like open that door again and let myself get attached all over again? Like, I've kind of processed it. And maybe this is a weird way to process it, but like, kind of in a similar way, like when, you know, like actresses have taken like maternity leave, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Marina left in season four for, I don't know, it was like four or five episodes yeah. at the end. Maybe even more than that, six. I don't even know. Whatever, however, that chunk of episodes at the end of season four. And then she came back next season. I mean, it was next season, but she still came back. And like, we've seen it with, you know, in other shows and other cases. And I, maybe that's a weird way to process it, but that's just kind of the way right now my brain's processed it. Especially just given the quotes and everything, like, and maybe it's not him coming back for forever, but like he's gonna come back. And I feel like with any other departure from the one Chicago universe that hasn't been the case, like they're like, oh well, we enjoyed that so and so while we had them, you know. And that's never that hasn't seemed to be the case for Jesse. So I think I'm just processing it more like a mater- a paternity leave. Yeah, I I know with Marina that you didn't have deadline like writing articles and things like that and making it sound so final. But you know what would be really interesting or make things really juicy would be if Casey and Gabby came back. I don't think Gabby would come back. I don't. For Stella's wedding? No. I just think they don't mention that. Like, when was the last time they ever mentioned Stella and Gabby? true friends like ever like even when gabby came back in season eight i mean you know stella had that quote she was like oh good to see you or whatever but like they didn't you know it wasn't like that was it like yeah no i don't and i just i don't see monica coming back right i mean i'm not saying never but like i don't not for this i don't think that's fair that's fair I'm telling you, the only things one Chicago or Chicago Fire season 10 has given me are abandonment issues and Hakami. So <laughs> and Hakami. Know, and Hakami. So and Hakami. It's a trade. Yeah. So, uh, we also have episode descriptions. So these are for episodes 15. So not this coming week, but the week after, right? The week of March 9th. March 9th. Yeah. March 9th. Okay. So Brenda, start us off with med. Okay. So med 715 is called Things Meant to Be Bent, Not Broken. Dylan's cop instincts come to life when he suspects his patient may be a drug dealer. Will must decide how to spend his whistleblower settlement. Charles and Vanessa help a patient who believes she's infested with parasites. And Crockett and Blake are paired with an arrogant surgeon. Will's getting a whistleblower settlement? I I guess. I have lots of, like, Dylan's storyline sounds great. Mm -hmm. I'm very into that. Um, yeah, I definitely, I was like whistleblower settlement. Will gets money. How much money is he? It's gotta be a lot, right? If he's having to decide how to spend it. Yeah. Um, also Crockett and Blake getting paired with arrogant, an arrogant surgeon. So like someone more arrogant than Dr. Blake. And Archer. Apparently. Huh. But also like after last night, LOL and Crockett, I just, I can't, I can't. I'm not, th- I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> we gotta wait, we gotta wait. I know, but like, ugh. Oh man, I know, I know. So yeah, that, 
sounds interesting. Okay. Fire 1015 is called the missing piece. Following an injury in the aftermath of an industrial fire, Severide and Seeger womp womp, work together to investigate an anonymous tip. Kid searches for the right person to fill the open spot on truck 81 and a possible new recruit to 51 gets tested at a call. It's the open spot on 81. What is happening? Well, I mean, so I have to go back. I want to, I meant to pull it up, but like, obviously I think there are kind of questions based on the 14 episode description, episode 14 description Mm -hmm. that like, I think Pelham somehow is gone. Like, that's the vibe I get. Because why would Kid be searching for the right plate person to fill 81 spot? And obviously, we'll get there with, you know, it kind of seems like Kid's going after a lieutenant position. But, like, I don't know. But why does Pelham all of a sudden leave? Now I'm confused. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm curious about that, too. I mean, there's... I was thinking, what if Gallo goes to squad, but there's no reason for Gallo to go to squad? Like, there's not an open spot or anything. Right. Like, that, like I said... It, it seems like Pelham's going to be gone, but Next I don't week. know. Yeah. But how? But how? Also, but how? why is Seeger still here? <laughs> oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I am loving all of the arson severide we're getting all this whole season. I am. I'm really loving it. But like, does it have to come with the side of Seeger? I know. I know. She just does nothing for me. No, she... And it's not even the fact that she's, like, smitten and very much just in love with Severide. It has nothing... Like, she just doesn't do anything with for me as a character. I, I just find her annoying. Yeah. Just annoying. But yeah. if you listen to our Miranda interview, make sure that you... Make sure that you do, because she does sing Andy Allo's praises about how I mean, amazing and yeah, she is. Andy is great, and I really... You know, because Upload's getting ready to come back for season two, and mm-hmm. I watched the first episode and really enjoyed it but then with the timing and the fact that it kind of has to do with death a little bit and you know with it happened it aired around the time my mom passed away and I was just like I can't do this so I do want to go back and watch it but now season two is coming out and so I'm like oh I should just like watch it all at once but yeah yeah Um, I've heard Andy's great in that so I really want to like get on it but yeah and she seems like a really good sport in all fairness we got a notification today that popped up and it was like andy ella liked your tweet and it was the gif we posted that was like oh yay see well, and then she quote tweeted it and she was like feels good to be back or whatever and i was just like oh man <laughs> she seems like a good sport so yeah you know. of course yeah it's 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 a bummer that andy's playing like a character none of us like but you know make sure you yeah. listen to our miranda interview because she does sing her praises about how amazing she is so yeah for sure um and pd915 go right ahead it's one sentence pd915 is called gone it says the unit scrambles to search for one of their own who is in grave danger and that is it Uh, why why because they like to fuck with our feelings like (laughs) so i think the consensus in the fandom i think we've got it narrowed down to like two people who it probably is right Yes, and it is two-thirds of the Burzik family. <laughs> I hate it here. Why? It's either Michaela or Adam. It, let's just put it that way. It it's is Michaela or Adam. Either Michaela or Adam. I worry, of course I worry less about Adam because Adam's an ass kicker and Michaela's seven. <laughs> yeah. Although, here's the thing. If I'm 
trying to find the single good thing to come potentially come out of this. We've been saying for so long that we need Adam to like get injured or something <laughs> so that Burgess can like realize her true feelings, right? What if this is that episode? What if this is the episode that gives us that? Will I it know. be worth it? I know. But like the sticker man, Michaela's uncle Theo, whatever his name is, he can't take Adam. We don't know because obviously next week is a bursting episode. We don't know what happens. We don't. I mean, I think there's a lot of questions. Uh, I will just have to wait and see. I also just need to scream it from the rooftop even before next week airs that the uncle does not have a case. He does not have a case. This is all like TV magic. Right. But I think that's kind of why then it would make sense, right? Like if they end up winning Michaela's custody, you know, the custody battle, right? And he's still pissed, wouldn't it make sense for him to go after like Adam or Burgess? Not again. Not again with Burgess. Please no. No, but I think, and you know, like, but what my point is, it's like, I think that storyline wise would make sense, right? Like they win their custody battle, but then the guy goes after revenge on one of them. Mm-hmm. Hence why it's Adam. I'm not emotionally prepared for this episode. I'm also like the next two weeks, Berzik wise, are gonna be like yeah. crazy. Yeah. And also the title of this episode, it's just one word. Gone. I just love the fact that they didn't even try to make like a case about they were just like, yep, the unit scrambles to search for one of their own. That is this episode. There's nothing else happening. It's fine. Uh. Why, why, why do we make the Berzik suffer so much? Why? Why? Because we can't have nice things. I don't know. Yeah. They like to fuck with our feelings. That, that, that is it. That is it. That's fair. That's fair. So we also got a scoop from Matt's Inside Line. Um, this is one of those where it's kind of like a bunch of scoops about a bunch of different shows, but there was one Chicago tidbit in here. Uh, Sarah L. asks, are there any chances to see when Chicago's Halstead brothers reunited again in the upcoming episodes? Wait, what? They're brothers? What? Huh? Huh? I didn't know that. They've never shared the screen. So like, how would we know that? Huh? Interesting. (laughs) And the answer says, in a word, yes. And here's the quote from Andy and Diane. There are definitely plans to reunite the Halstead brothers. And scene. (laughs) Yeah, that's vague without a... That's vague AF. Whole lot of nothing there, Indy and Diane. Whole lot of nothing. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So uh, that's about all we've got on the news. There was an interview. Daniel did an interview this week with uh, a local magazine in Chicago that was really good. And I know in, the, in there he talked about, you know, uh, being black and queer on network TV. Um, and also just how much everybody's missing Jesse Spencer on set. Yeah, well, and there's also, of course, there were a lot of, like, postmortems from Tracy just talking about the episode there. If you haven't read, I know it kind of caused some controversy, but if you haven't read Emily's piece from last week about all the behind-the-scenes stuff in terms of how they actually did, like, the car stunt and all that stuff, definitely highly recommend checking that out. And then there were a few, too, from Hanako this week. Um, I think like TV Insider did one or two, and then there was another random one. 
Um, so lots of other just like interviews and stuff. We'll kind of maybe touch on a few of them throughout, but like definitely lots of other good stuff too to talk about. Yeah. So uh, we have one patron shout out this week. Uh, Renee has joined the family. Renee, thank you for supporting us. Welcome to the fam. Make sure you join the Facebook group. We're so glad you're here. Yes. Yes. If you would like to support the pod for as little as $2 a month, please check the link in our socials to our Patreon page. We have a bunch of different tiers. We have a bunch of different perks. Um, Yours truly will be working on some merch designs pretty soon. We're a little behind on that. But yeah, check it out. We've got a lot of cool stuff and we'll, as you, as you've now heard, we're probably doing a bonus episode this weekend, which again, that's another thing we're really behind on, but, um, lots of cool stuff. So mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah. All right. Without further ado, it is time to move into the episodes. Are we ready? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Boy. Oh boy. So as Bryna had said earlier, we did get to see fire and PD early. We were lucky enough to get screeners for those. So we're sitting around with like a week to go and we're like, why don't we have a med screener yet? We can record early if we get a med screener. Once we saw this episode or once I saw this episode, at least I was like, oh, now I get why they didn't release the screener because this episode is a disaster. (laughs) What did I text you earlier? I was like, I think I was just like thinking about med and I was like, yeah, last night was a shit show. This episode is like, you know, when you see like the crash test dummies in the cars and they show you like the slow motion crash, like that's what this episode was. I just, I think what honestly made it so shocking is that, I mean, we've been singing Med's praises all season long. Like Med has been so good this season, but like this just felt like a 180 in reverse. Like I, it, the Stevie story, I line don't even talk to me about Crockett and Blake and Archer <laughs> and Avery and that whole like I just there were some like a few decent moments like well and we'll get there but like where <laughs> okay I did like the Maggie and Vanessa bonding moment yeah that was great until it wasn't great anymore no but their moment was still great Maggie yeah that also too Maggie but like that moment that is like my one saving grace in this episode I like that moment a lot this whole episode was just a it was a whole bag of like what the fuck (laughs) I still uh, oh my god okay so so (laughs) let's start we'll start with Crockett and Dr. Blake and Stevie and Archer 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 family (laughs) can't like why is Archer here why is he even here all right I still can't take it seriously no me neither me neither this I did not have this love triangle (laughs) on my bingo card the love square when you had Avery in oh my god (laughs) ew (laughs) okay so we start off and apparently we're picking up right where we left off it's like the day after the whole fentanyl problem that knocked out the whole ED last time <laughs> I like and that feels like it was like a million years ago I just can't believe that was the last episode we left off with okay Crockett stayed the night to look after Dr. Blake oh my honestly though when that when we like because the episode opens with that I was like at least he slept on the couch at least they didn't sleep together I was like okay but already I was just like oh fuck I also like how he slept in his scrubs. Like, we get it. You're a doctor, but doctors wear normal clothes too. Yeah, but I guess scrubs are more comfy. I mean, they're not, I mean, they're pretty comfy. 
I don't, I mean, I don't think I've ever worn them. I've never been in that field. So. Oh, when I used to work at my dad's office as a receptionist, like we all even like everyone in the front insurance, like we all had to wear scrubs. And so like, I wore them all the time, summer, whatever those like four summers, like they're actually pretty comfy. Okay. Well, yeah. So he stayed the night and I didn't hate this at first. I was like, oh, that's kind of hot. Not gonna lie. Oh no. I hated it. (laughs) And then it's all downhill from there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one good thing is that we get a new pairing tonight. We've never seen Stevie and Crockett work together. I love that until I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was all great until it went to shit. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so we're, yeah, we were, I I was totally here for this pair. I was like, nice. We haven't seen them work together yet. I like it. I like it. It was going good in the beginning. They were talking to each other. They're like, yeah, we're going to do this and this, and you'll do that. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm here for this. And then I, and then I wasn't. Then I wasn't. Yes. Okay. So they get a patient. He's a construction worker and he basically had a seizure on their construction site. Um, Seizure. Well, yeah. Air quotes, but uh, of course, of course he was holding a circular saw that was like in motion when he had the seizure, because, you know, when you go to Chicago med, it just everything bad has to pile on each other. So he hasn't told his coworkers about his epilepsy though. He doesn't want to tell his boss, obviously this can't be good. So then, <laughs> because in a logical procession of events, cause this makes all the sense in the world, Archer pulls Crockett aside and just wait for it. You work closely with uh, Dr. Blake. What's her deal? Her deal? Yeah, is she um, seeing anyone? Well, I think that's more question for her. Oh, come on. It was Valentine's Day last week. Does she have any flowers waiting in her office? Did she mention having plans? What is this, kind of a hospital policy thing? No, it's kind of, I guess it's a vibe thing. A vibe? Yeah, I got a vibe <laughs> from her. Okay. Maybe she's interested. Yeah, I'll... I'm a little surprised because I, I always thought you frowned upon workplace relationships. I mean, I clearly recall you sending Dr. Manning and I to HR. Yeah, I mean, brought my uh, thinking in the matter. Okay. Oh, man. Shoot. She, uh, she did mention something. So she's seen someone. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, never mind then. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. No, that's cool. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's all right. It's okay. What is this conversation? What the fuck just happened? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't have words. It's been 24 hours and I don't have words. No, me neither. Also, why is Archer saying the word vibe? <laughs> like, all I think of when I hear that is the Willow Smith song. And I just imagine Archer being like, caught a vibe. Like, <laughs> I it's so bizarre it's so weird the natalie reference was cool but i also couldn't like well and i thought and like and again i not that i'm necessarily here rooting for crockett and dr blake to be a thing because i'm not but like crockett did make a point he was like well you what like your whole attitude just changed because last year you were so like sending me and Natalie up to HR and now you're wanting to date your colleague? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, how did we go from med being the safe show to having to choose between the lesser of two evils? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. 
I, I like how, like, there's nothing that'll get you on board with the ship faster than the alternative being, oh no, well, Archer's going to date this person. Never mind. <laughs> but I don't, <laughs> but this, like, it still doesn't push me towards, like, just because Archer is now in a side on the love triangle doesn't mean I'm automatically rooting for Crockett and Blake. Cause I'm not like, I still don't like them as a couple. I don't, I, I don't, there's nothing appealing about that to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened? Like, <laughs> how did we get here? I don't know. Oh my gosh. Okay. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I- I just like there's I have I have no words I have no words like I want to say things but they're just not coming to me because I'm just like what the fuck is happening well and then to further what the fuck like Crockett he's like oh yeah no she did because you know Archer's all about like oh well did she you know Valentine's Day just came up did she get any flowers you know whatever like give me the you know inside scoop buddy and Crockett you know like lies he's like yeah yeah she did mention someone that someone is you clearly you're trying oddly enough though i was okay with that when he was like well she did mention someone there is someone i was like hold your ground tell that hypocrite to buzz off like yeah you got this but yeah i guess maybe because it's archer but like again i still don't like crockett and blake so like that's not appealing to me either i just yeah i just saw archer coming and ran to safety and safety was crockett and blake We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll save it till the end. We'll get there. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we find out that the patient Pete, he was never formally diagnosed with epilepsy. So Stevie wants to admit him to the seizure monitoring unit. Um, And as he's telling Stevie and Crockett, all the reasons why he can't spare a week to do that, he seizes. Uh, But Stevie notices exactly how he seized and she suspects this condition called PNES. Um, so that's great. We're just kind of going on with our lives, whatever the episode's happening. Well, then St- Stevie walks back in and Pete's in the middle of another seizure. And he's in the middle of another seizure because Crockett gave him an, what he, he refers to as a nocebo, which I think is the same as a placebo. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, we all know what a placebo is. It's not the actual medicine. And he gives it to him under the guise of like, oh, this is going to help induce the seizure. Crockett he lied to the patient I never suspected this from Crockett of all people Crockett Crockett was our safe doctor I was rooting for you we were all rooting for you how dare you but like Crockett has been our safe doctor and just out of nowhere he's like let's lie yeah it makes me so mad it, it just, it makes me really mad. Okay, just listen to this clip because Stevie laces into him and as she should. Why didn't you tell me ahead of time what you were doing? Not everyone is on board with nocebos. Yeah, because nocebos are completely unethical outside of clinical trials. I disagree. Really? Okay, well, I don't know how you justify lying to a patient's face, but please, go ahead. It's a diagnostic tool. Predicated on a lie. You gave Pete saline, you told him it was medication to induce a seizure. Which it did. So that makes it okay. Listen, this is not the route I prefer to take. Oh, we agree on something. You got nowhere with social services. We had no options, and now we could take Pete off the anticonvulsants, right? Yeah, okay, by telling him what, exactly? That no abnormal brain activity was recorded during the seizure. The seizure you tricked him into having. I think Pete will see the bigger picture. Well, I guess we'll find out, because if you don't tell him the truth, I will. How can he even justify what he did? Right, like, 
Like, I understand doing things like that, like in a medical, like in a clinical trial or, you know, whatever. Even if Stevie was on the same page, I'd still think ethically it was wrong, but I would understand it a little bit more. At least like everyone who's treating this patient is on the same page, right? Mm -hmm. Like I could, I could have maybe gotten behind it then, but like for Crockett just to be like, you know what? Fuck this. Like, fuck Stevie. I'm going to do this because I think this is right. Like, that's not Crockett. That is not the Crockett we know and love. God damn it. <laughs> this was a really out of character move for him. Everything about Crockett screamed out of character in this episode to me. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I'll agree with that for sure. And just, I mean, cause you know, you may, they both have their arguments for why they did it, but if you're the patient and you find out that you were given this med and you were lied to about what it was like, I'm going to be really fucking pissed. Well, yeah. And Pete even, I mean, the patient is like he was like what the fuck and he's like i want to see a supervisor as he should yeah and saline or no saline like that's an insult to the patient's intelligence which is a huge sign of disrespect like the patient's never going to trust you if all you've shown them is disrespect like that right and i think if there if your point was to like kind of test that theory and see if he is faking it or whatever and yada 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 i think there are other ways to go about it and again like talk to Stevie, get on a same treatment plan as her. You know, like, I think there are other ways you could have gone about a similar idea rather than Crockett just being like, fuck it. I'm going to go for a free for all and just give him saline without talking to anyone. Like Crockett is not that doctor. What is this? Completely out of character. Completely I don't out of understand. Character. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. So then in a further out of character move, since Archer basically, Archer basically gives Crockett like the attaboy he's like hey good job like your only mistake here was that you got caught no no that is not how things work like fucking archer the the, like the med doctors quite like I would say probably like 85 to 90 percent of the time operate on that principle of like it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission no because if you if you when you don't ask for permission you know what happens you get sued Mm-hmm. And you get sued big time. Ask Will. <laughs> yep. And good one. But Will. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Archer's like, good job. Great. And so it's basically like a quid pro quo here. So because Archer's like, good job, Crockett's like, you know what? Pamela's single. Go get him, Tiger. No. What the fuck was that? I, I, like- he likes, I mean, again, I don't like the fact that he likes Pamela, right? But he likes Pamela. So why did he then open the door for Archer to go after her? Because he wants Archer, he wants Pamela to choose him too and turn down Archer. Is that why he did it? No, I think he just thought he was being nice and like building a rapport with Archer. But the other thing that irks me about this is that by doing this kind of thing where like Archer's like, good, good job. And then Crockett's like, oh, well, you know what? She's single. You're teeing Dr. Blake up like a bargaining chip. She's not a bargaining chip. She's a human. Right. She gets to make her own choice. I may not like her, but she gets to make her own choices. Yeah. Yeah, she's not a, she's not like a, she's not something you pass back and forth between people. No, she's a doctor who is probably smarter than both of you combined. Yeah, probably. It's not a good look in this episode. It's just weird. It's like really... that whole exchange was just so bizarre. So then, because it gets worse. Okay, so at the end of the episode, very last scene, Crockett goes to see Pamela in like her office, I guess, which is in her house. Yeah. 
but also it looks like a prison cell. Was that at her house? I think so. I thought that was still at the hospital. Oh no, I thought she was at her house and it was like her home office. I'd have to go back and watch, but I can't bring myself to watch that scene again. So I probably won't go back and watch. Okay. So, so she's like, oh man, it's been a really busy day. And Crockett's like, yeah, how so? And she's like, you just missed Dr. Archer. Oh God. Well, that's why I think I thought it was at the hospital. Yeah. So this is a wild ride because you think it's going to go one way and then it just completely goes to shit. So Archer came by and asked me to dinner. Like, that's great. And Crockett's like, cool. What did you say? And she's like, oh, well, I said, I don't dip my pen in the company ink. Okay. So then Crockett moves in real slow, puts on the charm voice, gets real close. And you think this is going to be like a nice kind of hot ending. Oh no. The only different, the only two ways we can make this work would be either to like, or make this worse. I mean, would be to either like lob a grenade into the middle of the office or for Avery to show up. And we get the latter. Avery shows up. Yeah, we knew that when Avery found out it was going to be messy, but like, this is like the literal definition of messy. It was, it was, what's a word beyond messy? It was not, not even a catastrophe. Like that implies like there was some sort of organization. It's just messy. Like, I still can't believe this is how it happened. A clusterfuck of epic proportions. Yeah. And like, well, and then it's just so awkward because, right, like Avery walks in and she's like, what the fuck is going on here? And Crockett's caught in the hard place. And then when Pamela finds out, she's like, wait, what do you mean you were seeing my daughter? And it's just so fucked it's, up. It's like the Spider-Man meme. They're all standing there just pointing at each other. And Crockett's just like, I don't know. what." Do you yeah, Crockett's got this like smug face where he's like, I don't know. Did I just pull a mother and daughter? Yeah, that's me. What? That's so fucked up. So bad. Oh my goodness. See, we think Crockett gets out. Like, what the fuck? Where do we go from here? I haven't even thought about that. Okay. So, I mean, that's awkward, right? Like, you can't look that, you can't look a guy in the eyes who, like, you knew was making out. Well, no, they never made out. Crockett and Avery never made out. They went out for drinks. That was it. Uh, no, I mean, like, but that like, we know of. Like, I, I'm sure you can't tell me that, like, when he took her home that night, like, or dropped her off at her house or whatever. Obviously, I don't think they, like, slept together. But, like, that they haven't kissed. True. True. But if you're Avery, how do you look at this guy and, like, take him seriously knowing that he made out with your mom? Right, no, I think Avery and Crockett are done, which sucks because I loved Avery. But also, even if, okay, this is so fucked up, but, like, even if Crockett and Dr. Blake were to, like, say work out, right, like, and, like, I don't think this would ever happen because I don't think they're going to work out, but, like, if Crockett and Pamela were to ever get married, then, like, he becomes Avery's stepdad, and, like, that's so (laughs) weird. All right, well, now I know what what audio (laughs) bit we're using to tease this on Instagram with. Cool. But, like, I'm not wrong, right? Like, it's just every angle is so weird. It's so bad. It's so bad. Because even if you ever looked at it from the other angle, too, like, and Pamela and Crockett never made it work, but Crockett and Avery did, right? Like, it's like, oh, I made out with my son-in-law, future son-in-law, like that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, there is no good way for either of those relationships to work. It's just too weird. This is why you don't sleep with mother and daughter. I just... 
just going to jot that down and add that to the list of rules, <laughs> like things one Chicago has taught me. Yeah, it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No feet on the dash, no eyeliner in the car. <laughs> Don't, Don't sleep, sleep with. with mother and daughter. Yeah. Father and son, same way. I mean, like it wouldn't work. <laughs> oh my it God. doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> what a mess. I can't believe that like actually happened in an episode. And you know what makes it suck though? It's like, there would maybe be certain characters at certain point in time. I could have believed this happened to, right? Like if we were talking about like Severide in his like circle of Severide times, like it wouldn't have surprised me, right? But like Crockett, Crockett, we really did this to Crockett. Yeah. And they tried to make him the playboy his very first season, but he right. grew out of that. Right. Like if you had even told me this like early season five, maybe I would have believed it a little bit more, but like Crockett. <sighs> Do we think we see Avery again? I hope so. I hope so. But probably not. We might see her one more time because remember, Will's getting to settlement and she's repping Vascom. Ooh, good point. Mm-hmm. And then Crockett tries to talk to her and apologize, and she's just like, "Nope, boy, bye." Oh, I hope so. I, I hope, hope they're so. both like boy, bye. Although I don't think that's a, that's not going to happen with Doctor Blake based on the episode descriptions we saw. But <gasps> oh my god, oh what a disaster. Okay, so listener thoughts. <laughs> Kimberly J sent us a message and she said, great, just what we were all hoping for. Archer entering the fold of the already weird Marcel Blake Avery dynamic. I'm so glad this finally blew up in Crockett's face because this triangle with mother and daughter was not a good look and I was ready for someone to find out. I mean, I just didn't expect it to happen in this episode. Well, I kind of, so I saw obviously that Joanna Brady's name was like in the guest star appearances. So I was like, okay, Avery's in this episode. Great. And then she still didn't appear. And she still didn't appear. And then by the end, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I kind of saw it coming by that point. I was like, oh, fuck. It's happening tonight. But, like, yeah. Just yeah. a lot of things happened during One Chicago Wednesday that we didn't have on our bingo cards. Yeah, I think we need to make new bingo cards. <laughs> Clearly. Spoiler Clearly. alert, we don't have bingo cards. They're metaphorical bingo cards. <laughs> Go ahead. We, anyway. Yeah. Um. Heather B said, Dr. Archer, can we just flush him down a toilet or something? He literally made Goodwin do his job. Also, he's about to make Crockett's life hell. I'm over him. All of it. All of it. All of it. Yep. And Megan R said, I cringed when I saw Crockett and Blake were at her house together. And at the end, when is this going to end already? And it only got worse with Avery showing up. Oh, so maybe it was her house. I don't know. I have no plans to ever go back. I rewatched it for purposes of this episode and i have no plans to ever watch that scene again so yeah or that episode really avery showing up was just gas on the fire yeah or that episode honestly the whole episode yeah yeah which teases us up perfectly for a segue into maggie i'm like looking around this room right now trying to see if i have any like soft projectiles that i can throw out of rage from the storyline and like you got a pen you got a pen pen? i do have a pen but if i throw it pepper's gonna go get it oh so uh, okay take it away Brenna. okay so it's not a like a huge storyline but basically maggie comes to work she hasn't been feeling hot not covid of course she mentioned she's like she's tired she's nauseous and all of a sudden everyone on twitter is like oh and she's pregnant and then of course she turns out to be pregnant as we find out mm-hmm. 
And then also, of course, everyone on Twitter is like, oh, yay, Maggie's pregnant. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. We know what happens to one Chicago pregnancies. It was a collective. Oh, yay. Oh, shit. Yeah. 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 Um, And so the whole time, she seems kind of numb about it. Like, she says she's happy. And Vanessa seems to be really happy about it. But she seems kind of still numb at the same time. And then Vanessa just, like, kind of straight up asks her, like, what she's feeling. And we get this scene. I don't want to hurt you. Why was you? Because I'm excited. I'm overjoyed. But I don't want you to feel that this baby is wanted and that you want. Maggie, I'm not making comparisons. I promise. You, you work so hard to protect me and my feelings like a mom would. But Maggie, you're my friend. And I, I just hope that I'm yours too. Again, this is the best part of the whole episode. Sweet, sweet Maggie. This is this scene right here is the best thing of the episode. Can we just take like Maggie? It should have stopped there. Yeah, really, it should have stopped there. I just want to take like Maggie and like Burgess and Violet, all the really precious characters who need to be protected at all costs, and just like put them in a little box and just like lock them away so they're safe. Yeah. If we're talking about, though, characters on fire who have gone through just, like, shit after shit after shit, I would probably say Sylvie, because, like, think of all the, like, disasters Sylvie has somehow survived. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd say if you're talking, like, three characters, it'd be Burgess, Maggie, and then Sylvie. Yeah. And Cruz. I would protect Cruz, too. He's been through a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say Gallo, but I was like, no, he lost that privilege this week, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but anyway, yeah, the episode should have stopped after this Maggie Vanessa scene. I just, I love the scene because I think it really shows and highlights just like how far that relationship has come. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I just really enjoyed that. But then, so Vanessa gets her an appointment with the OB and we, and yeah, it's not a baby. We didn't even have time to like send the tweet to guess how long the pregnancy would last. That's how bad one Chicago is with pregnancies. Yeah, it's not a baby, but we also, they say it's not an ectopic pregnancy, but we don't know what it is. It's a mass, a mass. Yes. Um, Yeah. I swear to God, if her cancer's back, I'm throwing shit. That's just cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. For both Maggie and for us as the viewers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we already put the woman through it once, right? We already did those storylines. Why do we have to go back there again? Like, why can't we come up with something else for Maggie? I thought Maggie was supposed to get into more medical stuff this year. Yeah. Like, where is that? Where are those storylines? I want that. I don't want this. I want that. And this always loops back to what we talk about, how like you you do need obstacles for your characters. You do need them to go through things because otherwise without that, it is boring. However, there is, there's a line between like good story and then just like making your character suffer needlessly. Well, and like, but the thing is, if, yeah, I understand obviously going through the challenges, but like let Maggie have the professional challenges. Like, why do we have to like make her have cancer again? Yeah. Like, there's plenty of stuff we still haven't explored 
like kind of similar, I would say to like what we kind of started to see April go through last season, right. With like wanting to do more and like wanting to grow as a nurse. Mm -hmm. Like, I would love to see that for Maggie. And I was really excited when that got teased in whatever interview that was that like Maggie would be doing more medical stuff this year. Like, and we haven't seen any of that. Right. I don't want this. This No. And I mean, just like, it's a mass, which like, okay. But like, that doesn't have the connotation that it's anything good. But the thing is too. So like, even if they sit, come back and they're like, oh yeah, it was, um, why can I not think of the word? That's not malignant. Why can I not think benign? Yes. Benign that word. Um, okay. Well then what was the point? Like, why did we do this? Yeah. Like, I mean, great. It was benign. Awesome. But then like, what's the point of this? Yep. Yep. This just, this really made me mad. I just didn't appreciate the 180 here. Like there are good 180s and then there are 180s that are uh, too much. Everything about this was too much. Way too much. Way too much. And I mean, again, great. We're throwing obstacles at Maggie, but we've already thrown this obstacle at her. Yeah. Let's throw something else. Yeah. Um, like I said, it was all over Twitter. Definitely everyone was raging, but we did get one listener thought on this. Kimberly J said, well, we got to enjoy another one Chicago pregnancy for about five minutes. Should have known it would take a turn, but at least we got to see the Vanessa and Maggie of it all. It's been nice seeing that relationship evolve. It has. Yeah. Like I said, it, the only silver lining in this whole episode. Yeah. And I mean, we were, we were texting in a bunch of different group chats during the airing of this and we were all were like, Oh God, I want Chicago pregnancy. Like what? And then when, when Maggie was like, it's not a baby, we were like, really? Like, really? You're just going to smack us in the face with this all in one episode. Like jerks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stop using pregnancy as like a fake out or like a trope. Stop it. So annoying. Mm -hmm. Drives me insane. Okay. So moving into Dylan, this was one of the more tolerable stories of the night, but this also was like a WTF, if you ask me. Yeah, definitely. If I had to pick the overall storyline, that was the best. I guess I would say Dylan, but like, that's not saying a whole lot. This, uh, and it wasn't even the Dylan part of it that was so like, what the fuck? It was the patient part of it. It was like, what? What? That was like the baffling part. So, okay. So Dylan checks in on Carmen and I can't remember Carmen's son's name. I don't either. Damn it. Blanking. Is it Ricky? It's not Ricky. No, it's not Ricky. No. Okay. So he checks in on Carmen. Turns out Terrell ran off because where we left off in the last episode, Terrell like shoved Dr. Scott into like some card or something, knocked him over. And then he like left. I didn't realize that meant like Terrell ran off, ran off. He ghosted. Yeah. So... Dylan's trying to be sympathetic and he's like, you don't deserve that. And Carmen's like, you want to speak about what I deserve in a man? Okay. Like stop speaking in generalities. Spill the tea already. Tell us, spill the tea. Tell us your history. Yeah. Well, and then of course she's like, oh yeah, I was just joking, whatever. Like she wasn't trying to like say it as like a dig to him. Oh no, she wasn't. But then he's like, no, but like, I, you know, I want to apologize. And I'm just like, what, huh? Now, I don't believe that for a second when she was like, I was joking. No, you weren't. You realized you offended him and then you, you backed it were, up. You were, but you weren't at the same yeah. time. You and it's okay back. that those things exist simultaneously, but like, yeah. 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 So Dylan's patient is a pregnant woman who burned herself. And so she, he's like, yeah, we're just going to get like the resident burn expert from the hospital in here. Dr. Archer is the hospital burn resident expert. 
know. Look, I mean, Archer's the last person I want to see even as a non-pregnant woman, but like he's the last person a pregnant woman should be seeing. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, he looks at her for like two seconds, which is totally an accurate reflection of the U.S. healthcare system. But that aside, uh, he's like, yeah, it's a burn. You're fine. Bye. But she's also got some cold symptoms and like swollen lymph nodes. So Dylan's like, hey, we're just going to run some extra tests. Well, we run the extra test and she has syphilis. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yikes. And then it comes down to this really weird debate between Dylan and Archer because they're like, do we tell dad? Do we tell the dad? Do we do we just tell her? What do we do? Who do we tell? How do we do it? Well, and they assume that she's the one that cheated, right? Like they're like, oh yeah, she was definitely the cheater. And Archer like, is the, the one who assumes that she cheated. Right. But they're like, oh yeah, like she definitely, you know, that, you know, and that I'm just like, no, not necessarily. That really made me mad how like Archer immediately was like, well, do we tell, like, you know, she cheated. That's bad. Like he immediately assumed it was her. And Dylan was like, hang on, like, calm the fuck down. Hold yeah. yeah. Uh, Archer must've been cheated on in his marriage. <laughs> who knows what happened in Archer's backstory? I don't no, know if I ever want to know, but like, who I don't knows? care at this point. I don't care. You've been an asshole for like 15 episodes in a row. I just don't care anymore. Just yeah. leave. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he just assumes that she cheated right off the bat. And so they go and take it to Goodwin, which is like, yeah, let's take it to the tiebreaker because Goodwin's a totally reliable option. Okay. So then Archer's like debating her about it. It's so weird. It's so weird. And he's like doing the Kool-Aid man, like awkward backward step out of the room while it's happening. And he's like, just kind of like very slowly, like, no, I think the hospital administrator should do it. And he's like slowly opening the door. And Goodwin's like, no, like one of our lead physicians should do it. He's like slowly opening the door. He's like, I think three's a crowd. He just like slowly backs out of frame. It's the weirdest thing. It makes no sense. No. Like no sense whatsoever. But also where does Archer get off talking to the hospital administrator like that? I, I, I don't know. Like, I get that Goodwin was a nurse, but, and she probably doesn't outrank you, but nobody else in the hospital treats her like that. They all talk to her with respect. I just, I don't even have words. Like this literally makes no sense. It makes zero sense. It's so weird. (laughs) It's really weird. So telling the wife goes about as well as you would expect. It just, it falls apart very quickly, like very, very quickly. I just remember like they tell the wife, but then there's yelling and then the husband storms out and like, that's it. It's weird. It's really weird. So then Archer, who obviously did not learn the saying, if you have nothing nice to say, then don't fucking say it. He comes in and he's just like, well, that went about as well as expected. Nobody asked you. Right. Nobody asked you. You could have made it, well, not that it wouldn't necessarily gone better, but like, if you thought you could have changed the outcome, you should have told her then. Yeah, like you have no right to make snide comments when you're the one who like ducked out of it. Mm-hmm. Jackass. He like, no, no. I think I would get myself fired working for him because I would talk back. I'd be like, you're a jackass. Well, Yeah. Yeah, but then also he'd be like, you're not even a doctor, get out. And I'd be like, no, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing Archer said that made any sense. Yeah, yeah. So then um, 
Dylan had given her some antibiotics for the syphilis and it was penicillin. But then we turned out that the penicillin sent her into early labor. Okay. What is with everybody tonight? You've got Crockett like lying to people about drugs and did how, how did we, how are we not aware that like penicillin could induce early labor? I mean, I guess they, I'm sure they were aware, but like, is that the risk you're willing to take? Like, I mean, do you take it just, you know what I'm saying? Like, if that's the only thing that can help cure it, then like you still do it, I guess, even knowing the potential risks. Okay. I'm, I'm Googling it, which of course I am. Okay. Doctors should reduce penicillin use for women in labor. See. Mm-hmm. Okay, nothing about like inducing labor. That's about like reducing newborn infection. But like that had to be a known risk, right? Like when I go to the doctor, I they have it down in the chart that I'm allergic to penicillin. I'm not. The reason, or we don't know if I am. The reason it's in there is because my father and like grandfather and other generations have been allergic. And so they don't even risk it. Right, but I mean- I don't know. At some point, I mean, I, maybe they just had a scene where she agreed, you know, like knowing that that was a risk or whatever. I don't know. But like, I'm sure they knew the risk. I don't think they were oh. that stupid to like. No, you're being all logical and filling in the white space with common sense. I mean, man, somebody has to do it. True. And it ain't going to be me. <laughs> and if it ever is me, you probably need to worry. <laughs> so, so she has the baby. The baby tests negative for syphilis all that. That's fine. Um, there, there's a moment between Dylan and the husband too, where he basically is like the baby tested negative. Everything's fine. The, the husband starts crying and he's like, maybe after a little time and space, like you guys can patch it up. But Dylan definitely speaks from experience. Like you could tell. So then at the end, Dylan goes to Carmen and apologizes for presumably cheating. Like just, just tell us at this point. Right. I'm, I'm ready for that. Like dylan carmen backstory like just say it all just give it to us all yeah yeah and so and and the way he talks to her he's like you know he's just says like he's like i feel bad about like what could have been or like what we lost and and, yeah and it's so obvious too that he's still in love with her right like i'm sure that he has it's not like he's been pining away after her for like 10 plus years like I don't think that's been the case but now that she's come back into his life and it's brought up all those old feelings like it's still so obvious that he's in love with her oh so like just get it all out in the open make up and like move on (laughs) for sure for sure yeah and I I mean after he says that to her I I even wondered I was like is she she's probably his one who got away and the the stare he gives her after how like she walks by and his eyes just like track her that's exactly the way Adam looks at Kim every moment of every episode like yes that's that's a clear yes yeah for sure yeah for sure yeah so yeah just give us the backstory we're what 13 episodes in now stop teasing it just tell us we're ready we're ready ready yes we are ready but then also there's like, there's also the twist of like, what's going to happen when Terrell comes back? Like, right. Cause that was in, I think the episode 14 description. Was it? I think so. I think it was something I'm going to pull up last week's hold on outline. For, you I want me to start on Will and Stevie while you do that? Uh, yeah. Okay. So then we move into Will and Stevie. Like, I feel like every single good thing we had going for us this season, just like went away this episode. It's like we reverted to like season one forms of like everybody. Yeah. Also, yes. Yeah, so 
next week's episode, it says Terrell returns to med under dire circumstances. Under dire circumstance. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. So, yeah, Terrell will be back next week. Cool. Take it away. Okay. So, yeah, like you said. So, basically, again, things where I kind of forgot we left off at was Stevie left to go to wherever. I don't remember. Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, Michigan. Um, because she's like, okay, I'm going to finally get these divorce papers for my husband. We're going to get this done. Whatever. So she comes back and Will's like, oh, well, how did it go? And like, then he looks down and notices she's wearing her ring. Put that on my Chicago med bingo board. I did not see that coming. I know that too. Yeah. And, and like my, my instinct was to be like, oh, Stevie, you're better than that. But also like, you know, gotta give her yeah, the benefit but also, of the doubt. Like, I mean, and then the more I thought about it, it's like, you know what, like sometimes those, like, especially in TV shows, like that happens, right? Like they go, you know, they're like, okay, we're going to give it another try. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not completely uncharacteristic. Okay. Whatever. Fine. But then this will gets all weird and it's just, it's bad. It's really bad. And we're going to play the audio. So listen, last night, things didn't go exactly as I anticipated. Um, Is that your wedding ring? So you went to Gross Point to end your marriage and you came back with your wedding ring on. Andrew and I talked all night. It was the most honest conversation we've had. Yeah, he brought up the idea of giving it one last try. Hmm. You think I'm being naive? I've just never seen the whole breakup to makeup thing work. But hey, what do I know? Good point. Serial monogamist pushing 40. Ouch. Okay, I'm still several degrees south of 40. Thank you very much. You know, good luck with the long distance. It's famously known to go well. Well, it may only be temporary. The chief of ED at Andrews Hospital, my old hospital, is retiring next month. Andrew wants to put me up for the job. Wow. When in the evening did the job offer come up? It's not an offer. He just wants to recommend me prospect of a job. Did it happen before or after you agreed to give the marriage another go? Feels like you're suggesting I was manipulated, bought in some way. I'm not. Good. Look, I love it when one Chicago characters roast each other. Like, it's one of my favorite things. It's funny. But Will is being really entitled and he's kind of teetering on like Joe Goldberg and you status. He's just like, it's not good. The thing that bothers me about this is like, you would think that if you only had seen this one scene between the two of them right Mm -hmm. you would think that like they were kind of maybe starting to see each other or date or whatever and Mm -hmm. then she got you know and went back to her husband but that wasn't the case at all so like why are you acting all jealous and insecure and it's just it's not a good look it is not a good look it's really not and and I kind of wanted to punch him when he was like oh well at what point in the conversation did the job offer come like before or after like getting back together I was like, did you really just fucking say that to her? Like, like yeah, like, fuck who the you, fuck dude. are you? Yeah. yeah. You don't get to talk to her like that. Yeah. It's a, it's just not a good look. It's just, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And then at the very end when she was like, you're, she's like, I feel like you're kind of trying to insinuate that I've been manipulated. And he's like, no, not at all. And she just goes, good. I'm like, that was a smug ass. Like, oh no, not at all. Like you knew exactly what you were doing. Yeah. I just like fuck you like i just yeah he was really a jackass in that moment yeah so 
Will's patient this week ends up being an elderly or slightly elderly woman with dementia. Um, you know, she fell down the stairs. Nobody was home, but she had the wherewithal to call 911. So Will's like, okay, this is kind of weird, but okay. Um, and it's pretty obvious that this is going to be elder abuse. Like, it's kind of an obvious storyline from, like, the minute she's introduced. I had it pegged the the minute the stepdaughter walked in. She didn't even say anything. And I was like, elder abuse. Got it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was kind of an obvious storyline. Like, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with sometimes things being obvious. But, like, this was pretty obvious. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, like you said, the stepdaughter walks in. She's a nurse at St. Luke's, which I think this is now, like, the fifth or sixth hospital in Chicago we've heard about. I mean, Chicago's a big city. I know. I'm just saying, like, they keep talking about random. I'm like, what? huh? I know. I know. There's like a million hospitals in, in so Chicago. So many. Yeah. So many. But yeah, like I said, our spidey senses started going off. Will's spidey senses started going off. Um, and so, yeah. So he consults Dr. Charles and Dr. Charles is like, look, I'll talk to her. And Will's like, great. Cool. Awesome. So Dr. Charles goes to talk to her and they have a little moment, Dr. Charles and the Lorraine is her name, the woman who was hurt um, over Pablo and Ruruda and the stepdaughter is just pissed, especially when she notices that Dr. Charles is a psychiatrist. She is pissed. I feel so bad for Dr. Charles because like nobody is ever happy to see him when he shows up. Well, of course not. They're always like psychiatry. Why are you here? I'm not crazy. He's not, he's here to help. Yeah. I feel so bad for him. But so the stepdaughter doesn't want any, like, again, she doesn't want anything to do. She just wants to take her stepmom home, whatever. She doesn't want to have her brain scanned again. Like it's all weird. It's all very weird. Yeah. But basically we end up finding out because Dr. Charles decides to play a little PD and he's like, oh, well, I decided to call the doctor who did Lorraine's scans. Turns out he died five years ago before she was even diagnosed. So like, okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, basically it ends and the stepdaughter gets defensive and then is all of a sudden arrested. If you were playing your one Chicago drinking game, on, on Wednesday, uh, there were a couple moments here where it was like, take a drink, take a drink. This one was definitely one of them because the stepdaughter told Will to get the hell out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, she ends up being arrested. Turns out, of course, that it was elder abuse. She was taking money from like Lorraine's pension and bank accounts, whatever. And yeah. Let, let's just stop and pause here for a second because we just had an episode of Med where everybody was out of character. Yes, but also- Everybody broke the rules except for Will. I really wish I was drinking wine right now. What sort of parallel universe have we entered? What sort of I alternate really wish timeline I was drinking some is wine this? right now? Yeah, like yeah. I really wish I was drinking some wine right now. Like, where is Loki? What the fuck? Is he hiding in the corner? Is this a Nexus event? What the hell parallel universe have we entered? Yeah, it episode 13 is a bizarre one it's for many reasons so weird it's so weird yeah and then we end and will goes to apologize to cv and he basically just like you know i hope it all works out he recognizes what he said was wrong and i'm just like again it's truly we are in a different universe what would these doctors do without these patients to like shine light on like, Hey, this is where in life you're fucking up. Like, 
yeah i don't even want to know what i don't even want to know no i know i know <laughs> that would be that would be interesting though like i just want to see for a week like will fucks up and then like the patient doesn't help him with it at all and like does he still fuck up yes like- um we did have one listener thought kimberly said maybe it's just me but i'm getting i'm still getting used to will apologizing for things <laughs> i was really expecting him to stick his judgment stick to his judgment of stevie but relieved they went the other way i'm enjoying those two also getting back with her ex can't end well he's gonna show up in chicago right oh totally totally yeah i i'm 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 with kimberly though it it never ends well it never ends no. well but like when your friend does that kind of thing like you support them you don't say like you're fucked you say like okay like hear it out right or you shine light on it in a way that's respectful yep and and we'll get there in two seconds because i have to make that point again in about two seconds (laughs) about a certain character on fire okay so last up dr charles this was the only like weird storyline that i did not hate it's weird though i didn't hate it though I didn't hate it. No, but it's weird. Okay, so Dr. Charles runs into his therapist at the dentist's office. Okay, but like you work in downtown Chicago, right? Chicago's a massive town with like millions of people in it, right? Like even just living where I live, I don't run into people ever because the DFW is so spread out. Yeah, I can't say I don't have like- Obviously here where I live now, I, I'm, I always run into people. It's not a, it's why it's part of the reason why I hate it. I don't like running into people all the time, especially I'm just like, it's Sunday morning. I'm at the the grocery store. I don't want to run into someone I know, but I, I do. Um, And even in DC, like DC being a big city, like you eventually like DC is big, but it's kind of small. And like, you still start to run into people. It's not all the time, but like you definitely run into people, you know, but like, yeah, Chicago, I can't imagine running into people I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that's a tad unrealistic. That's a little, like, a little, a little weird, a little weird. So he sees his therapist and he's like, hey, I wanted to get back on your calendar. Like, I'm glad that we ran into each other so we could do that. Um, but she just basically is like, I'm winding down my practice. I'm starting to retire. I'm winding it down. I'd rather send you a list of referrals. And Dr. Charles is like, but... I thought we were buddies. Like the fuck? The fuck? Yeah. So I was wondering, I was like, did she just fire him as a client? Like that sucks. Uh, So he leaves her a voicemail midway through the episode, but she eventually comes by at the very end. And (laughs) Dr. Charles is like tripping over himself, but like it's Dr. Charles, right? So it's so sweet. He's like, did I do something inappropriate? Like, I'm really sorry. I'm trying to educate myself on these things and like not say things that would make somebody uncomfortable. He is just fumbling all over himself, which is actually kind of sweet. I don't know. But then she just stops and she's like, you want the real reason? I have developed feelings for you. Kind of sweet. But where did this, I think that the reason I find this so weird is this just came out of nowhere. No, like, it did. Who is this therapist? We've literally never met her before. Like, no, we have. We have. We've met the therapist. We have? Yeah. In like earlier seasons. Um, you remember that episode when he went off his meds and he was super depressed and like snapping at Sarah? Yeah. Okay. I do vaguely. But like that was so long ago. Like, it just still seemed, like, out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, we're giving Dr. Charles a love interest in, okay, I'm not against it necessarily, but, like, where the fuck did this come from? 
he deserves some happiness. I like I said, I'm not against it. It's just like you didn't even build it up, right? Like it's not like you saw them have a therapy session and then you know she decides not to see. Like it, there's just it was there, it wasn't there, and then it was all of a sudden there, and it's just like where, huh? I'm excited to see where it goes. I, you know, I, I love, I love Dr. Charles. And so like, I love happy Dr. Charles. And then like, you'll see Goodwin probably be like the wing woman too. That'll be fun. Like I said, it was just a little out of left field for me, but no, the, the I'm whole not damn opposed episode. to it. I mean, yeah, mm. the whole episode was out of left field. Yeah. This was not, not a good one. Uh, any other thoughts on med? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Other than it was a train wreck. Yeah. Look, absolutely no offense to the person who wrote this. No offense whatsoever. We're just saying that, like, plot-wise, we're like, our poor characters, like, haven't they suffered enough? Well, and like I said, in some cases, it felt out of character. I just, I, yeah, this was not my, and I think, too, I think it's also hard because after, when you have so many good episodes in a row, and then Mm -hmm. you have one that's not as good or not, just not good, it's just, it feels even worse because you're like, it's just not reaching the standard. And we just, we right. have such a high standard for med this year that like, it's just, it didn't reach it. And interestingly enough, if you were to give out an award for, you know, most out of character character from these episodes, wouldn't go to anybody in med. Wouldn't go to anybody at med. It would go to somebody at fire, which teases up perfectly for moving into fire. You're go- Hold on. You're going to give it to Gallo over a Crockett? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Wow. 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 No, no, I won't save it for that section. Slut shaming is an egregious offense. Okay. It is 2022 and Gallo is Gen Z. He should be woke AF. Okay. He should know these things. He slut shamed her. It's not okay. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not okay. Cause I agree, but I'd say, I don't know. I don't know. I still think I'd say Crockett, it was more out of character than Gallo. I don't know. I feel like slut shaming is. Here's the thing. I'll just say this. Not necessarily, again, slut shaming, not okay. We're about to get into it in two seconds. But Gallo's been acting this way, kind of jealous, weird, misogynistic way for a couple episodes. So is it as out of character given the way he's been? Crockett was very out of character for me. I've never seen Crockett do something like that. Totally fair. Completely understand. I think slut shaming is the kind of thing that turns you into a villain like immediately. No, I'm not saying that like, ooh, Gallo's a bad guy now. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Gallo crossed a line and he crossed a big line. A big line. Before, uh, let's just move into Violet. Yeah, let's just move into fire. Violet Hawkins Gallo because that's where we're starting. Really, let's let's just talk about the best part right off the bat. Okay. Um, do you want to discuss the morning after? Oh my God. <laughs> do I? Do I? Like, cue the Taylor Swift. Like, do I? Ugh. I mean, I'm not going to say we manifested that shit, but we manifested that shit. We manif- and it was everything we wanted and more. And it was everything we deserved. God damn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Preach. Amen, sister. I mean, it's just so good the amount of time like well first of all again screener so the first time I watched it I like the way I screamed legitimately I was like holy shit holy shit 
You know what detail got me the most? It was the shoes. I don't know why. I was just like, oh, like, damn. Well, yeah, because that's how it obviously starts. The first shot is like the shoes on the floor, the dress on the floor. I, oh my God. Yeah. Violet, honey, you done good, girl. You done damn good. You done real good. You done real real good. good. Yeah. Oh man. It's just everything about the scene is perfect. Chef's kiss. Yeah, because I mean, and then we obviously we start and we see Chess Naked Hawkins, which like, again, Violet, you done damn good. Violet, good job, sister. Yeah, good job. Seriously. I mean, damn. I mean, okay. It was a super hot kiss up against the glass. So I can only imagine that like the night was just as hot. Oh, of course it was. I just want to like break out into wildest dreams right now. Like. <laughs> yeah oh so good it's so good oh my god well and then it's like cute because like she's obviously trying to leave right she thinks she's gonna do like the walk of shame or whatever and hawkins is just like are you ghosting me in my own bedroom and it's just (laughs) i know oh man yeah and like Again, so then we have the whole conversation. Basically, like, Violet's trying to sneak out because she knows that, like, what they did is, like, a bad idea. Bad. According to her. She's like, this is not going to end well. You're above me. You're my boss. Whatever. Except Hawkins has, of course, already figured out. He's like, yeah, he's like, we can't get fired over this. He's like, it's not even really against the rules. It's just frowned upon. Oh, my God. The game on Hawkins, like. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I, I love how just like nonchalant about it he is too. He's like, we're not going to get fired over this. Like, why would you think that? Like, <laughs> yeah. But also, definitely not what I thought, right? Like, I thought the whole, the way this storyline was going to go was that, like, the whole idea was that it was going to be forbidden because they could get, she could get fired or like, you know. Like, I thought that was going to be the storyline. So when that happens and he says that right at the beginning, I'm like, oh, okay, then. Yeah. Um, But then Violet says, you know, but like frowned upon means it's trouble and like neither of us need trouble. Um, And then she still insists on leaving. So she basically is about to like storm out and she's like, that's it. We're done. And then like she's about she like kind of walks through the door and then she of course like turns around and like has to give him one last kiss which is like it's hot it is hot it is hot did you notice how they took the same camera angle on both of the kisses in this episode what what do you mean like from both because they they kissed twice in this episode obviously but um both (laughs) times the camera was like doing like the swivel thing where it was like the round 360 oh yeah 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 i did notice that um but yeah i mean the scene is just so great their chemistry it's, it's so good it's so good it's so good this is and have i watched it i i literally don't even think i could tell you how many times i've watched it between last week and now like 20 million i don't know <laughs> like a lot a lot so, so ryan and i were talking was it last night or sunday night i don't know one night we were talking and like I was telling her, I was like, so my computer is like a Hakami trash can because I like pulled it up to do something completely unrelated. And it was like Photoshop, Hakami gifts, like iMovie editing the clip. And then it was like Photoshop making the gif. I was like, okay, okay. All right. All right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hakami trash can. 
No, the best thing is when you made the gifts the night you made the gifts and I obviously go to bed like early I because I'm an old lady and so you like woke me up and you had this whole thing about you're like this is the gift and we're gonna tweet this wildest dream lyrics and then like this is the other gift and we're gonna end with this and I was just like this whole Hakami thing and I woke up to like 20 messages and gifts and it was it was amazing best way to wake up it killed me making those gifts though because I wanted to share them with so many people but I could not (laughs) I know oh it killed me it killed me I've had some late nights this week it's been a crazy week for both of us and there have been some late nights and like literally on what what was yesterday Wednesday Wednesday night after the show's aired (laughs) I don't know anymore what is time Uh, I I, I was literally up at like two in the morning just like furiously working ahead and I just made a bunch of gifts and then I was like good morning Bryna like (laughs) Hakami says the following yeah oh oh man okay So then we move into kind of what we were already alluding to. So basically they go on this call. Gallo has like a really rough call and his, he's, his life is not, he's like kind of in danger for a hot second. He ends up being okay, but he's, it's a call that really rattles him. It looks scarier than it actually is. Yeah. But so he, he's fine physically. He's obviously a little shaken, but he's fine. So Violet goes and finds Gallo after the event from the call. And like I said, Gallo's still pretty shaken up over his mistake that like kind of almost cost him his life. Not really, but like kind of almost. And we get this whole conversation. You know how much I hate it when you almost die. Why did you do that? My apologies. I really did uh, screw that one up. Oh, well, don't beat yourself up. That's my job. You never showed at the alt gala. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I got stuck at the uh, uptight actual gala making small talk, you know, so. With Chief Hawkins. I saw Hawkins there, yeah. It's not a good idea, Violet. What isn't? This thing with your boss? Sorry, but it makes you look pretty bad. Wow. Okay, first of all, it's not against the rules. It's just frowned upon. And second of all, you are the one who rejected me. So it is time for you to step back with this jealousy crap. Okay, so back to our whole slut-shaming conversation. We got to spend some time on this, yes. Yeah. Not a good look, Gallo. Not a good look at all. This is so out of character for him. And here's the thing. So this is kind of what I was getting at earlier. Like, I don't, I don't think Gallo meant to hurt Violet, right? Like, I'm not saying he still didn't slut shame her because he did, but I don't think his intention was to slut shame her when he said that. Mm-hmm. I think he And this isn't like defending Gallo or excusing his behavior because I'm not. I think it was wrong. But I think he was very still still very rattled from this call. And I still think I think his intention was to look after her. I just think he said it wrong and it just came out all wrong and it ended up he slut shamed her. And I I don't. don't, Yeah. Like I said, I I still I don't excuse it. It it was slut shaming and it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it came out wrong it's still slut shaming her. And I think she has every right to be upset with him, but I, maybe this is just cause I still want to believe Gallo is our little cinnamon, cinnamon roll. 
I don't, I don't, I want to believe his intentions were to like look after her. But if your intentions are to look out for her and like to be concerned about a power dynamic and like, I get it. Right. Like, I think we were just talking about this off air too, with like wanting to look out for your friends and supporting your friends. And how do you have like hard conversations and, you know, like, even if you don't agree with what your friends are doing, but like support them. Right. Like, I think there was a way he could have said, gotten his point across that like, maybe he's concerned that Hawkins is taking advantage of her. I think there is a way to say that without it coming across as slut shaming. And that's just not what happened here. It's definitely not. It's definitely not a, I don't think that he, I, I, I get the, I get, I get the intent that like, he didn't intend to hurt her. He really didn't, but I feel like he should have known better. He should have known better. And he, I like, I know he just blurted the words, but he should have, he should have, he should have had more of an awareness than you would think. Right. Like I would expect something like that out of Herman's mouth with him knowing full well, what he said, Gallo is a different generation. He should know. He should know what's coming out of his mouth, especially when it comes to Violet, because he cares about her so much. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, I think there was a different way. Like if he really is concerned, because clearly this goes back to episode like 11. I think the hiatus makes me up. Episode 11, when he's clearly upset, like he's worried about Hawkins intentions when he sends her, like gives her the award. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, I think there is a way if he was, is truly concerned about like Hawkins and the power dynamic and like him, Hawkins taking advantage of Violet. I think there's a way to express that to her without it coming across as like, that makes you look bad. That's the part that really like bugs me about this whole thing is when he's like, he's like, yeah, not that he like said, not even the fact that he's like, it's not a good idea, but he's just like this thing with your boss. Sorry, but it makes you look pretty bad. Like just fuck you fuck like yeah yeah that's a really bad like hurtful thing to say but and that's how he feels that's not on her she's not like yeah that's not on her so when when you say that like he's trying to look after her I don't think it's that I think he's more acting out like a child well I think I think both I think he and again I think this really just illustrates I mean we've been saying it for weeks now right that like Gallo still has a lot of growing up to do he's still very much a child while Hawkins is very much a man and like this just is very much that on par like you say that Gallo should know better and yeah I think he should right but like he doesn't he clearly doesn't he should but he doesn't right and like I said I I don't think like the intent I think he was still rattled. I don't think the intent was to hurt her, clearly. I don't think Gallo is that cool of a human, right? Like, he didn't intend to go and slut shame her. It just, it's not a good look. And I just, yeah. I no, just, I, and I agree. And, and I feel like nine times out of 10 with most men, they don't intend to hurt. They're just ignorant. But like, we just came from an episode where Dr. Charles was like fumbling over his words, t- trying to tell his therapist how much he's been trying to educate himself, right? So yeah. I think even in the absence of intent, there's still no excuse because there's, you need to educate yourself basically. And how saying something like that to a female colleague, a female friend can be, it can be hurtful. It can be damaging. It can be a lot of things. And that is the kind of thing that can really, really negatively impact a relationship. So just, and I'm not saying that's, what's going to happen with Gallo and Violet. It's not, but Gallo needs to be no. more careful and he should know better. Well- and so, like, even at one point, too, like, well, 
uh, two things. One, it's, I definitely don't think this is what's going to happen because in her interview with TV Insider, um, Hanako says something about the fact that like you're going to see Violet and Gallo kind of go through this like roller coaster and to like make amends, you know, on all this stuff. And like, obviously she said something about the fact that it's going to like be a real friend, you know, like they're going to, I think, come out of it as better friends because mm-hmm. you obviously have to go through all like, you know, that's just what happens sometimes when you go through painful moments together like you can kind of come out of it and on the better side so I'm glad to see that but like yeah this is not a good moment it's really really not really Um, really not and now I've lost where oh I don't remember else what my second point was but anyway (laughs) that aside um so then we've seen later on like I said it's kind of awkward now we oh I hold on before we move on I do remember what my second point was I did love this moment though. The only, oh, the only thing I loved from this moment, I'll back up. The only thing I loved from the moment though, is I love seeing Violet stand up for herself. Yeah. She's always been a character who does that. And especially with Gallo, she's always kind of put Gallo in his place, but I just, I love this moment. And it was, I just, Violet McCombe forever and ever. I just love her so much. Yeah. I mean, now granted, this is what, this is one of those times where I wish the show wasn't on cable because like, or it wasn't on network because there was a little something to be desired there. I wish she'd been a little more harsh and, you know, told Gallo where to shove it, but it, that's Violet yeah. and it's network. So yeah, no, her standing up for herself was great. Um, I just wish she'd let him have it a little bit more. Yeah. But within network reasons, this is, this was great. As mm-hmm. great as it was going to get. Um, so like I said, still awkward, still tension filled. It's a little awkward, but so Violet's making herself some lunch and all of a sudden she gets this text in the middle of shift from Hawkins and all it says is there's good trouble and bad trouble. This is the good time, obviously playing on her words from earlier when she said, you know, we don't need any of trouble or whatever, you know, and like the smile on her face when she reads that, like, oh my fucking God, I die. I die. That, this is like one of those moments like remember when jay had the suit in 301 and it was like a take your breath away moment like that message i was like oh oh my like i mean that was hot this is a, this yeah it's super hot this is a man who not only knows what the fuck he wants but communicates that and like we stand we can't we have to stand we have to stand we stand we have a man stand. who communicates clearly and and respects women not the gal yeah, like, but you know i mean yeah but i just yeah and like even in her insider article hanako said something about like oh i think communication is just easier with hawkins well yeah because he communicates back <laughs> yep yep i mean he just like i mean yeah i would have l- l- lesson if i had gotten that kind of text from a guy i would have had that same smile on my face that's all i'm saying Oh yeah. All I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a bummer that like Casey left midway through Hawkins art. Cause like Hawkins could have given him so many lessons on like flirting. Oh, and my, game. oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my say, goodness. How to say what you feel. Yeah. 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 Um, so then we get a girl talk moment, which we haven't had one of these in so long and I've missed it so much. Mm-hmm. Because this is like one of the strengths of fire and it's been sorely lacking this season. Obviously, Stella was gone for a little bit and I just, I miss them. I miss them so much. Mm-hmm. 
So we get Brett, Stella, and Violet. They're in the locker room, and Brett finds Stella's engagement in the ring in the locker. And so, of course, they're like all giddy about that. And, you know, they're talking about Sylvie's like, oh, maybe it's time to actually finally start planning your wedding. And Stella's like, I think it is. So, obviously. Um, and this whole thing prompts Violet to ask Stella, like, whether or not it's ever been tricky for Stella and Severide's relationship since Severide is a lieutenant and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And Stella's like, no, like, you know, we're not on the same rig, so it wasn't as big a deal. But she's like, but even if we were, like, who gives a damn what people think? And Violet's Louder just like, for the people in the back. Yeah, and Violet's just like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, who gives a damn? Yeah. And, like, Stella walks away and Brett obviously is, like, looking on for this whole conversation and, like, she knows, like, the real reason why Violet's asking that question. And she's just like, okay, spill. And so Violet spills all her about her night with Hawkins. Um, and then she and she's just like, I really like him. And it's just so cute. It's so cute and it's so good. Um, but Stella needs to like stop leaving her ring lying around. The anxiety I got when I saw that ring in her locker just like by itself. I was like, oh, put that thing on. Like, oh well, my she God. Probably can't wear it on calls can she interesting i mean she's if it's a fire she's wearing gloves so i i would well that would make sense if she couldn't but like, i would assume i mean and maybe she it maybe it's not that she can't but that she's choosing not to because of all the calls and so, you know which i get i mean that makes sense but like then just leave it in your apartment like just leave it in the loft like put it in a box put it somewhere like super secure this never comes off ever and it yeah. never will. Like uh, the the anxiety I got for her, I was like, oh no, please. There's going to be like a Lost Ring episode later on down the line. Like I see it coming now. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, so things end for this storyline. After shift, um, Violet stops by Hawkins' office. And like she comes in and literally Violet or Hawkins' face like lights up when she walks in the room. And it's mm-hmm. so cute. Oh my God. Yep. So- they have this little banter about the fact she's like, I don't think your assistant likes me. And he's like, she doesn't like anyone. And she's like, well, you know, I told her we had a meeting off the books and she frowned, but she still let me in. And he's just like, you're so lucky. Like others have perished trying. It's just like, it's so cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, you know, she's like, well, I've decided to not let the frowning bother me like hers or anyone else's. And then they have another kiss and it is just as hot as the first one. I love the violets, the one that went in for it this time. Well, and then too, so she's like, after the kiss, she's like, well, you know, call me when you're done here and we'll make some of that good kind of trouble. And like, she leaves and like Hawkins face when he, when she leaves, he's like, oh fuck, I know I'm in trouble now. And it's just like, oh, good kind of trouble. Like, oh, (laughs) it's so sexy. It's so good. I know. Like, oh oh, man, I'm glad we don't ever post the videos of just us two because our faces right now like they're they're red like we're turning yeah, red yeah it's yeah oh my goodness oh my oh goodness my god okay so listener thoughts go ahead okay yeah obviously hakami has like broken the one chicago fandom in the best way it's hakami mania out there and i wouldn't want it any other way me neither it's yeah 
So Kimberly J said, I was beyond happy when Violet told Gallo off. He has had so many chances and it is really time for him to grow up because if he wants to be worthy of her, if he wants to be worthy of her, zero rush though, because I'm pro Hawkins all day long. I mean, yeah, yes, yes. And Megan R said, Violet had every right to call Gallo out. They need to find a new love interest or keep him single for a while because this whole jealousy thing is getting tiring. And P.S. That opening Hakami scene was chef's kiss. So Bridget S said, Gallo's words were uncalled for and uncalled for and inexcusable in last night's episode. He needs to do better, be better, and sincerely apologize to Violet. I want to know where the writers are taking his character for the rest of the season, other than ruining him. <laughs> they don't have to make him unlikable so we can like Hawkins better. He's doing it all on his own. So why are they continuing to write his character as immature, rude, and selfish? I had high hopes for coming coming into season 10 with Gallo. They brushed upon him learning from Severide and squad at the beginning of the season, which was an exciting possibility. It would be a great storyline for him to learn as much from Severide as he did from Casey. His friendship with Ritter. I also miss the moments with the two of them. Bring back the storylines of the diet mint the diet menu episode. That was funny. Or more of his backstory on his family. How is that continuing to affect him as an adult? They should focus on these options rather than the triangle with Violet and Hawkins. I'm afraid the more they continue to write Gal the way he is, there's going to be a point of no return. Yeah, and but there will be is the thing, like, there will be because you always end up forgiving them after a certain amount, right? Like, I will never forget that Alinsky slut shame Kim, but also I'm, I miss him. I don't know. Yeah, well, like I said, too, like, I think again based on the interview that Hanako did it seems like it's I think only gonna strengthen well first of all I think it seems like Gallo does apologize right like Mm -hmm. I don't think Violet would just start forgiving Gallo if he didn't apologize and sincerely apologize not just because he feels like he has to Mm -hmm. but I also like I said based on that interview it kind of seems like it's ultimately gonna strengthen their friendship friendship I think Hanako also makes it clear that like they're not romantically interested in each other and even like that's not a thing that's happening so or at least not right now at least so yeah like I think we're gonna be okay but yeah I do think it is kind of her point about what are we doing with Gallo this season is a really interesting point like yes Gallo was there a lot in season eight and nine to be Casey's shadow and to learn from Casey and clearly be like the next generation you know the next generation's Casey but like Mm -hmm. Now that Casey's gone, like, that doesn't mean that Gallo just falls to the wayside. Right, right. I did think her her line in there about how is how is the loss of his family continuing to affect him as an adult? That's really interesting because I didn't even think about that, that, you know, you forget that Gallo did not have a typical upbringing. Mm-mm. And he didn't yeah. have that, like, center nucleus of a family. So, yeah. That, yeah, I didn't even think of that about how that might impact him, him growing up and him evolving into an adult. Well, and I also really appreciated her line about the fact that like they don't have to make Gallo unlikable for us to like Hawkins. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Like, like she said, Jimmy's doing that all on his own. Like we're, mm-hmm. we, yeah, like we can love Gallo and also love Hawkins. Yes. Especially now that we kind of know that like, okay, like, Gallo is not in the picture romantically anymore. Like it is just like Hakami and then Gallo. Like I can still love Gallo and also love Hakami. Yes. Like yes. the two are mutually exclusive. Yep. And like I wish, I hope it gets back to that. I yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um go yeah, ahead. go ahead. 
Okay. So we got, we got a comment from Jess B in our Facebook group and Jess said, had he been coming from a place of genuine concern, maybe I'd be slightly more okay with it. But I think jealousy was 90% of why he said what he said. So that makes it pretty messed up for me. Also, I have to wonder if he ever would have said this to a male friend who was pursuing a relationship with a female superior. I didn't even think about that. That was the point when I said, okay, I have to put this in our, like, it it was when I saw that, I was like, oh, I would have never thought about that. But yeah. I don't think so. I don't think he would have. Right. Like, I I don't think so either. It would be a a pat on the back. It would be like, no, go ask her out. Yeah. Like I said, when I saw that part of Jess's comment, I was like, okay, I have to bring this up on the podcast. Oh man. Oh man. It's hard. Right. Cause like the minute he said that I was like, fuck, like, where do we go from here? Do you forgive the cinnamon roll or do you just like banish him as a villain forever? Like, like I said, I, I think we ultimately forgive him, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not forgiving him yet until I see how he apologizes. Yeah. Do better. Do better. Gallo. Like, I need to feel that it's a sincere apology. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fair. Like, I think you can be like, yeah, no, I really fucked up. Like that wasn't my intention. Like, I think there is a way for it to be sincere and then for me to be like okay I can forgive you but like kind of going back to Bridget's point like I just need them to do something else with Gallo Mm -hmm. like I'm tired of the jealousy like the jealousy was fine we were having this conversation in the pod squad group chat today Mm -hmm. like the jealousy was fine in season eight when Violet was first getting introduced right and they were just starting their flirty and it was like kind of cute like I wasn't opposed to it back then but we're in season 10 now like I don't need jealous gallo anymore right. i just don't i'm over it it's not cute anymore right right i just i need something else for gallo we've got still like 10 episodes left like i need something else for gallo this year yeah absolutely absolutely so, so. let's move into stella our little rock star queen bee of firehouse 51 yeah i love stella so much yes. she's amazing Okay, so Stella's talking to Pelham at the beginning of shift, and she mentions to him that she was hoping to set up a girls on fire shift since she had missed so much time. And Pelham's like, yeah, that's fine. But like, what if we get called out on a call? And Severide at first is like, well, I can step in. And then Kylie's like, no, no, I can run it. Oh, yeah, you can, Kylie. Hell Hell yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. So Stella gets back and she and Kylie are going over for the game plan for that girls on fire. session. she gets back from like the first call. So Kylie's looking at the game plan and she's just like, oh man, like we did this in my first class, like two years ago. It's been two years. Girls on yeah. fire has been around for two years now. Yeah. Because that was the end of season eight too. Remember that was something that also like they were going with for the pandemic and then the pandemic shut it down. So like, yeah. and then, cause Kylie starts working for 51 at the beginning of season nine which is crazy to think about but it's so crazy no and then kylie even says she's like it's so crazy to think about how my life has changed in the best ways and just like you know how i do my best one chicago thinking like in the car uh, who's in the car these days because like not me um but like i definitely had my like my stella kit like thinking session the shower earlier and just like all of these things that are happening are like things that stella set in motion which is just so incredible when you look at it. Like all of these things that she's doing is impacting so many people in such a positive life-changing way. Mm-hmm. She's such a, she's a queen. Like we stand. Yeah. We stand. Mm-hmm. 
So Kylie is in charge for the girls on fire drills and Stella stands by and watching, watches them. And this recruit named Macy, she comes up to Stella and she's like, I'm turning 21 next month. I'm going to apply for the CFD exam. And Stella's just like, oh my God, like you're my first recruit. Holy crap. Like yeah. what? The full circle moment is just incredible. Yeah. And so Kelly calls Stella to let her know that like, he's going to be gone for a while. And Kylie comes over to see what all the paperwork is. And so Stella starts rambling to Kylie about the phone call with Severide and talking about Seeger. And she's just like, she's working or he's working with Seeger, who's really attractive and obviously in love with him, but I'm okay with it because Kelly and I just got back from being solid as hell. And there's no reason I should feel weird about how well they work together. She's just reasoning it through with her friend. Like, it's cool. It's cool. Well, but I love how Kylie's like, I was just talking about the paperwork. Like, I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't, that wasn't my intention to ask. But like, yeah, I do love seeing, though, that like Stella's comfortable. And there's another moment later on, too, like that, like, yeah, obviously, Kylie still sees Stella as a mentor and someone mm-hmm. she looks up to. But like, they are friends, too. So I do love like the little like talks they had. Like, I just I, I really enjoyed seeing that this episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so Kylie offers to help with the paperwork and they're talking and Stella just says, she's like, now you see why I can't be a lieutenant right now. Like supervising is endless hours of paperwork, plus the time and energy it takes to run the sessions. And she just says, she's like, I can't drop the program. Like, look at the difference it's making. Macy's going to become a firefighter. And Kylie's like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And like the wheels are turning. Like she's thinking. Yeah. So um, truck 81 then gets called to a cat in a tree call. I am impressed that it took 10 seasons to get the stereotypical cat in a tree call. Yeah. Good work. Good work. So Pelham's like, oh God, like really? But then Stella's like, listen, Gallo is like being really hard on himself. He's in a tough place. Just, just, just let, let him Spider-Man up the tree. Let him do the thing. And so Pelham does that. Gallo Spider-Mans and saves the cat. Great. So they get back from the call and Kylie and Stella watch Severide do his little science experiment. More about that later. Um, and she just says, she's like, yeah, she's cute and all, but like, come on, you're the one he looks at when he's showing off. I yeah. love that moment. I thought that was so cute. So cute. You're the one he looks at when he's showing off. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's only got eyes for you, Stella. It, yep. Yep. So good. And so once shift is over, Kylie asks Stella if she has a second to talk. I'm sorry if this is out of line at all, but I have something I need to say to you. Okay. For like two years now, you've been my mentor and my hero. That's that's nice of you to say, Kylie. Well, during that time, I've watched you work so hard for that lieutenant position, put all you had into it and kick ass. And I know how important Girls on Fire is to you, but the truth is, I can take over a lot of that organizational stuff and even run the sessions. You're great. So I was thinking, what's so awesome about Girls on Fire is that it makes girls like me and Macy from all over the city feel like becoming a firefighter could really happen. But just becoming one isn't the only goal. Moving up, working to become a leader, That's the dream. And that's what makes you so inspiring. That you're capable of all that. 
of becoming a lieutenant. So why wait to show it? Just like, this is so nice. It's so nice. And also Kylie for freaking MVP of Firehouse 51. Like how many times does she like come in the clutch? Right? Like, right? She saved Stella and Severide's relationship last year. Mm-hmm. She got Bowden back to 51. She's kicking Stella's butt into gear in terms of getting her to become like fulfill her lieutenant potential. Like she she also kicked uh she kicked her butt into gear when she was thinking about oh that go- ties into saving Celleride. She like kicked her butt into gear about postponing the exam. Yeah. yeah, like that's what I'm saying. Like, man, Kylie is the MVP of Firehouse 51. She really is. Kylie's the unsung hero of Chicago Fire. For real. For real. But I just think this whole arc, this whole story is just so nice because even this moment with Kylie at the very end is it's very full circle because Stella taught Kylie how to use her voice and like stand up for herself and say things when things are happening. And just, you know, she taught her to stand up and and assert herself. And that's exactly what Kylie's doing here. Well, and I love this moment too, because we kind of talked about it in a little bit with our, with Miranda in our interview Mm -hmm. that like, obviously it resonates hearing it from Kylie resonates different than hearing it from Severide and Bowden. Yeah. And like, I think it's really important that it was Kylie that told her this, not the two of them. And mm-hmm. I also really like it, the fact that, like, I mean, we don't really know what's going to happen next week. And it, like I said, it kind of seems like Pelham is no longer around and, you know, whatever. We don't know anything. But, like, I really like seeing this before that and that, like, Kylie is putting the wheels in Stella's head. Like, no, like, go fight for what you want or, like, go, like, go after it because, like, it's okay. Girls on fire will still survive. Like it will, you know, we'll be okay, but like, you need to go do this now. Yeah. And I just, I love seeing that. It was like Kylie pushing Stella to do that. I, I just think that, like you said, it's very full circle, very full circle. I just, I feel like, I feel like Stella is an extremely underrated female character on television right now. Oh yeah, for sure. Extremely underrated. And the reason I say that is because, I mean, what she's doing, what she's going through, we see her living her life and it's all so, it's relatable, but it's also aspirational, which mm-hmm. is, there's something beautiful about it. Well, and I love to, I think I, I'm literally just thinking about this now and making this comparison, but like I, one of the things that I've really loved it. I mean, season 10, we all know has not been like our favorite, although it's kind of turning around. This back half has been a lot better than the first half. But one of the things I really have loved in season 10 is seeing both Brett and Stella make these professional jumps for themselves, like create these professional opportunities, like, and really shine. And I just, like you said, it's something we don't see a lot on network television. Like, I feel like we're not seeing a ton of that. And the fact that we have two badass women doing it on this show Mm -hmm. like I just I love the women of Firehouse 51 and I just I've loved seeing that this season and like you said Stella especially I just I've I've really enjoyed it yeah yeah and I I'm 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 starting to see that I think Stella is starting to have the kind of impact on a lot of fans of the show a lot of female fans of the show specifically that like Brooke Davis in particular had on me where like the aspirational part yeah the aspirational part of this like Yeah. I mean, in the real world, things probably don't go so smoothly, right? Like, you know, but it's something to aspire to because you've seen it before. If you're just like, okay, well, you know, Stella has overcome this, this, and this, and it all worked out for her. Like, there's no reason why I can't go for it and have the same results. 
it's really interesting that you make that comparison because I don't think while I understand that Brooke Davis had a lot had that impact on a lot of people I don't think it resonates like not again I like Brooke Davis as a character of course but like I don't think it had that same impact on me one because I think I binged it and I binged it later on so Mm -hmm. I just don't think a lot of times I mean for some people it can but I think that's part of the reason why it didn't have the same effect on me um and I wasn't watching it in real time and I I think it was a little bit different back then. I, you know, watching it like almost 10 years later from the first time it aired is kind of a different timing into, but I've never thought about the way that Brooke Davis had impact on a lot of women is kind of the same way Stella's having a lot of impact on women watching fire. And it's true though. It's true. It's, it's such a beautiful thing about television. And it's really the, it's really the thing that like, made me fall so hard in love with the medium in general is that like, and I was in a really tough part of my life, probably what like math, hold on math, seven years ago, seven years ago. And TV helped me get through it, not because it was like mind numbing, but because I was able to draw strength from the characters I was seeing and seeing Stella have that impact. Now it's just really heartwarming. It's nice. Yeah. And I think, I think they've done that so well with like and at every iteration, right? Like not even just with these three, like this iteration of the three women with Brett and Stella and Violet. But I think Fire's always done that, right? Like if you go back even to the very beginning with like Gabby and Shay and just like the way they were have, able to have impact on a lot of people, a lot of women specifically like watching the show. Um, and then obviously brought in Brett. And then obviously we got Stella. And then now with uh, Violet brought in too. I just, they've done such a good job with the female characters. And like you said, in the way they are able to write all of them mm-hmm. um, in a way that feels relatable, even if obviously they're not exactly relatable. Like I'm not a firefighter or a paramedic and I have no plans or ever intend to be one. There's still things that I can draw, like you said, from their strength and the way that they're just able to go after things like it's still really relatable and really inspiring. And I think fire's always done that with their main, you know, women. And I love seeing it still. So. Yeah. And, and, and knowing that your characters can impact people that way, it's a very powerful, delicate thing. And I think they're, I think they're, they're, they're doing a good job with it. I think in the past, they might've had some issues here and there, but I think as, as, as people grow and learn, they're doing a good job. Yeah, for sure. So stand Stella kid for clear skin. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. So listener thoughts. Okay. So Kimberly said, shout out to Kylie for reminding Stella what a good leader she is and that she deserves to go after what she wants. Amen. Yep. Yes. Like we said, Kylie is the unsung hero, MVP, whatever you want to call her. She is that. Kylie for president. Yeah. And I just, I also, I loved seeing, I mean, I know we've seen Kylie, you know, in episodes here and there, but it's usually like a scene here and a scene there. I just, I loved seeing a lot more of her this, like in this episode. I just want more Kylie. I love Kylie. Yeah. Love Caitlin. Just I just, both. Caitlin's the best. I just, yeah. yeah. Love it. Love yeah. it. Moving into the dreamiest blue eyes in Chicago. And Seeker. Yeah. Whatever. And Seeker. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Seeker. So, all of 51 gets called out. this call that we've started out on, you know, we've talked about a couple of times, all of 51 gets called out on this call to an apartment fire. It's this young girl named Julia. And she like runs up to them. And she, you know, when they pull up saying like her sister, Courtney might still be in there. Of course they don't find anyone in the apartment and they come back out and Courtney comes home and she like immediately starts blaming the fire on her sister, Julia. 
So we go back to the house and Bowden finds Sev on that floor and asks if he got a whiff of arson at that call. And he's like, no, why? And Bowden's like, well, OFI is involved and PD's been called out to that house a lot over the years for like domestic issues. And like Julia's caused a lot of trouble in the past. And so like PD actually already arrested her. That escalated quickly. Yeah. So Severide, of course, takes Squad out to the house <laughs> and like makes them stay in the truck. But um, which is where we get the line. Like, I, I don't remember if it's Randy. It's or- Cruz. No, but if Cap says, you know, I think it's Cap that asks, like, what are we doing here? And Severide, or, and Cruz says, like, don't you know, like, Severide's playing fire cop. Um, How did we never think of that term? Fire cop. It's a good one. It's so good. And it's so simple and to the point and catchy. How did we not think of that? Yeah. And so, of course, Severide goes into the house and finds Seeger on the scene. Mm. And Seeger's just like, you know, all we have right now is like Julia and Courtney were apparently screaming at each other this morning before the fire. And then, of course, that the fire started on Courtney's bed. There's no sign of accelerants. And so Severide, of course, his gut reaction is that Julia didn't do it. But Seeger's, you know, she's like kind of hesitant to believe him. But Severide's like, no, like my gut reaction, Julia didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So the two of them go and pay the older sister, Courtney, a visit. And she's like, I don't know what happened. Like, yeah, we were fighting, but I left to go to a doctor's appointment. And like, when I came back, like everything's on fire. And she's like, yeah, Julia was still there when I left. And like the fight was about like, I, you know, I need her to pull her own weight. Like, even though she has started to look for a job, but like, you know, Courtney's just like, I thought she was turning it around. And so she's kind of disappointed. Um, and then Seeger asks her, she's like, well, do you think like Julia may have started the fire? And she's like, I like, don't really want to think about that. So the difference even her- between their schools of thought are so interesting because Severide is like, she didn't do it. And Seeger's like, mm, but she probably did. Yeah. Yeah. So Severide and Seeger are like, okay, well, we're going to talk some potential witnesses. And of course, like none of them speak highly of Julia because of her troubled past, um, And like you said, Seeger is like kind of starting to think that maybe they're right. But Severide's like, no, like you're doing like what everyone else is doing, like judging her for things she did in the past. And he's like, you know, people can change. Like he's like, I did. He was like, I was a nightmare in my teens. Um, And he, like I said, his gut is still that, you know, she's innocent. And he even says, he's like, I think she deserves better than be boiled down to a rap sheet of past offenses. Thank God for Sev, man. Just like constantly seeing the good in people. Yeah. He's a great judge of character. Mm-hmm. So Ambo 61 gets called later on in the episode to a PD holding cell where, of course, like a fight broke out. And, of course, it ends up being Julia in there. She's the one that gets stabbed. So Brett and Violet recognize her and, like, come up with this plan to, like, get her to med so that they can ultimately get Severide over there to talk to her some more. So they get her to med, like I said. They call Severide and Seeger who come down to talk to her. And she's like, I swear I didn't set the fire. She's like, all I did, I listened to some music on my sister's bed. Then I went to go look for a job. That's it. And so Julia mentions that she listened to music through her sister's like smart speaker. And of course, Severide hears this and his ears perk up because he remembers Gallo mentioning it earlier that that's why Gallo got all fucked up in the call was because he thought he heard voices, but really it turned out to be the smart speaker nobody was actually in the apartment were you surprised that severide knew his way around the cloud no because severide 
you might think Severide's a little technology challenge, and I'm sure he is when it comes to like working his iPhone. But if it has something to do with like things that could potentially cause fire or like anything that he knows that would relate to his job, he knows it. Good point. Good point. Right. Like if you asked him to work the camera on an iPhone, I'm sure he has no idea. But like if it has anything to do with like a fire or something that could potentially turn into a fire or affect a fire, he knows. Yeah. Yeah. He knows. So they have the older sister check her recordings to see if like there's one from the morning that would let them in on how the fire started. Um, But there's not really much to go off of. Like they hear Julia talking about the fact that she was going to go like look for a job or whatever, but like that's not really something they can go off of. So Severide notices the older sister, Courtney, scratching like a rash on her neck that she woke up with, of course, like the day after she washed her sheets with a bunch of bleach. And again, this sparks another idea for Severide because Severide knows all things science, apparently. So basically, the sheets were washed with too much bleach. And then when Courtney, you know, applied like a hair, like an alcohol-based hair gel, like, and laid down on her sheets with her wet hair, that and then the moisture evaporating into the sheets, like the combined with the bleach is what ultimately caused the fire. New fear unlocked? Yeah, so it was totally accident. Like nobody did this on purpose, obviously. But also Severide knowing all this chemistry stuff still continuously blows my mind. Same, okay, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, we thought Violet got a chemistry set as a kid. Did Severide? Like, what? Like, he had to have, right? That that was that was my question. I was I was going to say, I was like, what kind of, like, was he that kid in high school who was, like, naturally good at the science classes? Or, like, was it definitely his favorite class? I don't know. I think it was some combination of both, right? Because I think he was probably so into firefighting or like, yeah, he, like he obviously wanted to become a firefighter and I'm sure he knew he had to have some chemistry knowledge to become a firefighter mm-hmm. or like was going to learn it eventually. So I'm sure because of the way it impacts fire and like the firefighting that I'm sure he, that's part of the reason why he loved it. Like bleach and alcohol are two very common substances. I did not know until this episode that put together they can auto ignite i just yeah how and also i mean when the writers are mapping out these arson stories like how i don't know i would we'll have to jot that one down for Derek. yeah because that was a crazy one and then with the arson cases especially right now that yeah that was a crazy one and like do you find yourself with the arson cases now like trying to solve them as you go you're just like well maybe it started this way I like couldn't tell which way this one was going I knew that it was probably going to be an accident and that Julia obviously didn't do it like Mm -hmm. I got that part but how we ended up there I had no idea and then like I literally was just I was like Mouch and Pelham when they roll up on Severide like with the trash can doing the chemistry experiment I was just like in awe I was like who the fuck is this guy? Like, yes. who is he? Like, like, what is he doing? Who thinks of that? Only Severide could be like, let's put some sheets in a bucket and then just like watch it and see if it ignites. Severide things. Just Severide things. Just Severide things. We need that to be a t-shirt, right? Like where it has like a list of things and then it's at the bottom. It just says like, just Severide things. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Like, 
Uh, yeah, blows my mind. Blows my mind. Also, now that you mentioned Violet having a chemistry set, I'm kind of curious to see like Violet and Severide work an arson case. Um, oh my god. Yeah. Like just I could see it in passing where like Seven Seeger are like talking about something and then like from across the room, Violet's like, oh yeah, well, that happens when you mix this and this. And both of them are like, what'd she just say? I like, need that. Mm-hmm. I need that. That's a yeah. pairing I didn't know I needed to work together, but yeah. I, I do. I do. Yeah. I need that. I need that. So then it basically it, the whole episode ends with Severide and Seeker. They like walk out of OFI after they finish the paperwork and like Julia comes up to them and gives Severide like the biggest hug. And it's just a really nice moment. If it wasn't for Severide, she'd still be in jail. Yep. Because nobody would be listening, willing to listen to her. Yep. Love it. These are the Chicago Fire episodes that are like the best is when, you know, you just see everybody rise above and, and go the extra mile to help people and it works out. Yeah. So good. Um, we did have one listener thought. Megan R said, I love seeing Severide Arson just as much as the next person, but it just hasn't been enjoyable this season, i.e. Seeker. There aren't any other storyline ideas for him. That's a good point. I do feel like it's been a lot. Like we've had what at least three, and obviously there's getting ready to be a fourth one. It, because we had the church, wasn't there one more? I feel like there's been more. One? I feel like this has been like almost every episode this season, right? And then obviously there's one coming up in fifteen. Like it's it's a lot. It's a lot. And I do I agree. I love our Severide. It wasn't until she pointed it out that I'm like, yeah, I guess it has been a lot. Yeah, it has. And that's the only thing that concerns me is I'm, I'm loving it. Don't get me wrong. Arson Sev is the best. However, like too much of a good thing sometimes. I feel like though, the reason they're giving this so much Arson Severide is for whatever storyline they have cooked up with the Seeger of it all, right? Like why else would Seeger be around if not, you know, for an Arson case? So you think there's an end game? What, with why we're getting so much arson Severide? Yeah. You think they're building to something? Yeah. I mean, I, cause like I said, I mean, again, I don't want to keep referencing our Miranda interview at the end of this, but like in our Miranda, like to me, this whole episode, like why then just Miranda or not Miranda, the Stella make the comment, you know, sh- that she makes to Kylie about Seeker. Like, I feel like her insecurities around Seeker are building up and like, Obviously, Seeger has to be around for Stella to notice that she's feeling insecure about Seeger. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like maybe there's a point. I feel like we're going somewhere with Seeger's crush on Severide, and I just don't know where yet, but I feel like that's going somewhere. See, my biggest worry is that they're doing so much arson because they don't know what else to do with him. I mean, I also have that fear. I mean, I'm not like that is like a minuscule part of me. The bigger part of me wants to believe that we're going somewhere with Seeger, finally, and, like, maybe she'll get the fuck out for good. But, like, <laughs> there is a minuscule part of me that, after Colin Donnell, and they were just like, we don't know what to do with him. Like, yeah. How do you not know what to do with Colin Donnell? I just don't, it never, it'll never make sense to me. Well, and honestly, now that I think about it, though, maybe part of the reason, too, they've done so much arson Severide, especially in the first part, is because, like, Severide's best friend was gone. Mm-hmm. His girlfriend was gone, or fiance was gone. So, like, they had to, if they were going to give Severide storylines, it had to be something professional. So, like, what else would they give him 
except an arson stuff. True. So I don't know, but I, I'm not worried. I'm not worried yet or anything, but like, cause I think it has to do with the seeker of it all, but mm-hmm. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. So last up, we've got Pelham and Bowden and the first time I saw this, I laughed. I thought this was great. The second time, for whatever reason, it just didn't like it didn't it didn't hit, hit the, the spot. Yeah. Like I still think it's funny. And it's really it is really great to see Bowden in a comedic storyline because it's something we don't see a ton, but like mm-hmm. Eamon's really good at being, you know, he's really good at the serious, but he's also really good in the lighthearted moments too. But yeah, it definitely isn't as funny the second time, but it is still like, it's a good comedic storyline. Yeah, it's cute. It's amusing. It's amusing. So Bowden finds Pelham working on his incident report after they get back from the call and just apologizes. He's like, I'm sorry, you don't have your own quarters, but if you want, you can move into the blue room because it's just kind of sitting there empty. So the blue room, if you forgot, this is the site of the women's lounge. Yeah. what else was there? It's basically like, it's like the room of requirement for firehouse 51. It just, it's been a bunch of things over time. That was a Harry Potter reference, by the way. Um, I would have not picked that up at all. Yeah. That was a Harry Potter reference. So um, you're like the only person I know who just does not pick up on those. Like makes me sad, but that's okay. <sighs> you're still a Hufflepuff. I've sorted you as much. Anyway, that, you're not the only one who's told me that like, even in high school, like when my friends who were really into Harry Potter, like I've always been sorted as a helpful buff. I know that that's not yeah. a secret. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually wearing a Ravenclaw shirt tonight. Uh, <laughs> um, coincidence, but yeah. So, uh, Pelham starts to move his stuff into the blue room and Herman warns him against it. And he's like, well, Bowden declared it off limits. And Pelham's like, well, he just told me to move in here. And so Herman's like, dude, this office is cursed. Like, it's cursed, which it kind of is, but also didn't Herman ask for the blue room and Bowden like shot him down? Yeah. Remember when he wanted, remember when he made his office between Casey and Severide's quarters and it caught on fire? Yep. That way he wanted the blue room then, but he could, they couldn't, I don't, I think it was like messy and Bowden was just like, no, like, I, <laughs> I don't remember why, but that was, I think why Herman created that office that ultimately caught on fire. Yeah. So Bowden goes to Pelham's office, the blue room, and as they're talking, they're like, they hear something. And like earlier in this moment, um, when, when he was, when Pelham was talking to Herman, um, Herman was like, you have your own thermostat? Like what? Oh my God. And Pelham messes with it. That, that turns out to be important later. So Bowden goes in and they're just standing there and Bowden's like, do you hear that? And they basically are like, oh my God, like there's an animal in the wall. Like something's in the wall living there. And so Cruz and Mouch and Herman and Brett, they all come in and they hear the noise too. And we get a nice little call back to Mr. Sprinkles. I had honestly forgot about Mr. Sprinkles. And that was a nice callback. Rest in peace to uh, the unofficial Firehouse 51 mascot. RIP. RIP. I know. And and also um, we miss you hazmat Zach. Yeah. 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 TBT. TBT. Indeed. Indeed. Although the actor who plays him, he's he's in that car commercial you see every Christmas with like the giant SUV. Yeah. Daniel, what was Daniel? It's D Tommaso. Yeah. 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 It's it's the one with like the giant SUV where like every Christmas it's the one that you see on Twitter when people are like, this is so unrealistic. Nobody can afford two giant SUVs like this. That. 
Uh, oh, the GMC TV spot holidays. I see now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, I had you're, to a sh- it. when you're a shy hard, you, you see different things that other people don't see. And in that commercial, I'm like, how's my Zach? So, all right. Later on, Ritter and Gallo hear the noise too. And they stop in to see Pelham and Pelham's got his ear up against the wall. Um, we need to note prior to this though, what was going on. So Ritter and Gallo were like raiding this stash of like Twizzlers or something that had Red been vines. in there. Was it Red Vines? Okay. Yeah. Um, that had been in there apparently for like a year and Ritter was like, yeah, you know how after like six months they hit a new texture or something. I, I thought that was funny. Well, there was another episode. I want to say it was season nine. There was another like Red Vines reference between the two of them so it is like a nice little i guess that's their thing but um yeah that's uh i don't know still candy not not a thing not a thing no no also i'm a twizzlers girl so sorry i don't really care for either of them but it's (laughs) so so pelham's got his ear up against the wall and Bowden storms in and the two of them are listening to the wall together and so Pelham gets back from the cat call and he walks in and he sees that there are holes all over his wall, like holes that have been like beaten into the wall. Bowden's like, I'm not proud of it. Like I had to do it, but I'm not proud of it. And so they both like narrow the noise down. They're like, oh my God, it's in the vent. Like it's in the vent. We have to do this. So like one of them gets the halligan. The other one is like ready to like strike. They open the vent and it's a piece of duct tape. All that damage to that room for duct tape. These dummies. I know. No buttheads. Funny. Yeah. It was cute. It was yeah. cute. Yeah. So Kimberly J said, I've been apathetic about Pelham since the beginning, probably because I would still rather have Casey here, but it was fun seeing him as part of the comedy storyline. And with Bowden of all people, I always appreciate a callback too. And there was no shortage. Mr. Sprinkles, the ladies lounge, Gorsh, and even Gallo's love of the red vines in the bullpen. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was great. Loved it. Um, Megan R said Bowden being the com Bowden being in the comic relief storylines is always a treat. He never disappoints when he's in them. And yeah, that, that was that was a nice little present. Yeah, yeah. So, any other thoughts about Fire? Great episode. Yeah, great. Like, great episode all around. I mean, obviously the Hakami is supreme, but like even beyond that, just great episode all around. This was a very textbook perfect episode of fire this back half so far of fire has been really good yeah like really good really strong and i think it's just gonna keep going up from there so yes yeah absolutely all right it's pd time stretch it out i know i'm like okay stretch stretching these muscles yeah pd this episode like it's fantastic first off i'm going to start with that it's fantastic it is a lot to process emotionally but it's fantastic it's so good it's for me by far the best episode of the season i definitely think it's probably one of just my favorite pd episodes like i just i think it's so good and i'm not i definitely i mean i obviously love Haley upton i wouldn't go so far as to call myself like some people are like ride or die like Haley Upton stands mm-hmm. I wouldn't go so far as to put myself in that category but I think she just killed it in this episode Tracy just killed it like everything about this episode is just like mwah, chef's kiss it's incredible it's incredible um this was a very like 
heavy last hour of one Chicago and not just because of the episode, obviously there were some real world circumstances happening at that time. Um, it was, it was a heavy hour, but it was a very, very good episode. So, um, I want to start with, okay, well, 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 I'll work up to it. So let's start with the opening scene. Okay. So we get up water. What? I know. How many years has it taken us to get this moment? Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. For real though. Yeah. So they're packing up to head home and like, they have this really great banter that we never see. Oh man. It's, I love it. I, I love it. I, I love it. I need more of this. I need to see more of like the five of them interacting as one whole team, not just like the upsteads and then the birds of waters. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like give me more of these other pairings. Show me, show me Jay and Kim. Like, jazz it up let me see these other pairings because it's 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 good it's like it's gold basically so Haley started running as like a new year's resolution damn girl because like that's impressive and so it's nighttime she's leaving and she's about to go like run six miles what yeah like I wouldn't run even if it was not freezing cold out in Chicago but okay all right so Kev's poking fun at her for it. They're walking down the stairs and Kevin's like, you know, all these new age workout plans are just like money-making cons. And Haley's like, I'm running alone. So like, who am I paying? So then Platt stops them before they can leave the district. It's Haley's 10 year anniversary with CPD and Platt wants to plan a party. You know that like you are loved within the CPD when Platt is the one who wants to plan your party. Yeah. When Platt even just not even plan it, but like, it's Platt's idea to have yeah. a party. Yeah. Yeah. And we get this great exchange. I am the reason you're here, so it's only fitting. Actually, 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 you kind of owe me. I owe you a party? You heard the story, right? She's a cop because of me, because I saved her family, right? Oh, I have not heard this story. I was 10, and... Uh, Platt was the responding officer to an armed robbery at my dad's restaurant. She did, in fact, save us. And yes, she made me want to get on the job, which she has so very humbly pointed out. Yeah. See, that's sweet. It's very heartwarming. But you know what's going to happen if you let this woman plan your party? We're all going to end up at Turtles eating sausage that Mouch made in the basement. Everything about this is great, except for one tiny little tidbit. One tiny little The continuity. The continuity. The continuity. So Haley says that she was 10 when her father's restaurant was robbed. She wasn't 10. She wasn't 10. She was 12. She was 12. Yeah. Uh, and I, the minute she said 10, I was like, wasn't she 12? But then somebody had like just posted the scene where she tells Platt, like, oh, I became a cop because of you. And it wasn't in there. So I was like, did I imagine that? And then one of our patrons was like, no, it was the infection crossover. And I was like, oh, Good, good thinking. Yes, good catch. Which, like, it leads me to a question of, like, is continuity that hard? Like, what are the challenges there? Because continuity errors happen in a lot of shows more often than you'd think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know either. That's that's literally as simple as, like, tweeting out the question and your show's fans knowing the exact answer within two seconds. Yeah, well... It's definitely a question for our friend. We'll have to ask him. Yeah, our friend over at Med. Yeah. 
I'll have to ask. I'm legit curious. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm just like legit curious. Yeah, I'm not over here like, you're stupid, continuity. I'm like, no, how does that happen though? Like, tell me, tell me. Yeah, especially when like, if you told me there were not people whose jobs it was to like, keep track of all these things then I'd be like okay I kind of understand like I don't really see the writers pouring through you know nine seasons of episodes to find out one minute detail but when that's like someone's job Mm -hmm. to like have all these facts like I I, like I'm just genuinely curious do you need somebody to be in that job because like I volunteer as tribute yeah just saying okay so Haley goes on her run down by the river and She's running, she's doing her thing. And it's like a bad knock-knock joke. It's like knock-knock, interrupting car, like interrupting car and right in front of her, just like, boom. Yep. So this car like speeds in front of her, goes off the bridge and like season three, one tree hill falls into the water. Yeah. Now this is like the third show, the third show that I can think of that happened, right? Cause you obviously have one tree hill. You have 911 Lone Star. You have this. <laughs> oh, poor Grace and Judd. <sighs> Don't even remember. I, why did I bring that up? It's um, it's almost as bad as like the, the failed pregnancy trope. Like, what do we do with these characters? Let's throw them off a bridge. In a car. In a car. Why not? Why not? Okay, so the car goes off the bridge into the water, into the Chicago River, okay? Like, it's Chicago. It's February, so it's really cold. It's probably like single-digit cold, if that I feel like a normal person, like if you and I are walking along the Chicago river at night and a car careens into the river right in front of us, what, what are, are we, we gonna, doing? What are we going to do? Call 911. Right. But like, neither of us is going to think that like, oh, I should probably jump in the river. No way. I know I don't have the skills for that. I don't either. Like I am not trained to do that. And not that Haley is, but like, she's way more equipped to do that than either one of us. Haley is just built different. Okay. Like she, like, I just was so in awe of her this episode because every other person's instinct would be to stay up on top, call 911 and just look for like any signs of anybody coming up in the river. Right. Haley literally like cannonballs herself into the Chicago river in February when it's like five degrees out hmm what yeah there's a couple of characters in when chicago i think would do something similar um, severide severide um if i have to pick a med character i'd say will but like mm, i think crockett would do it and really no the only reason i was gonna say will is because that's really going off of the story i've heard like 20 bajillion times about <sighs> um nick and jesse and when they ran into like that woman who like flipped her car into a ditch and they pulled her out and she recognized them. Mm-hmm. That's really the only reason I say will is because I'm thinking about Nick in that scenario and Jesse. Um, but yeah, I will would do it only to end up a patient back at med. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be a mess. That would be a mess. I just can't believe that like that was her first thought was like, hey, it's like midnight on a weeknight and it's five degrees out here in Chicago. I'm going to just go jump in the water. She's she's incredible. Just incredible. Casual. Incredible. What's also incredible is the like eight minute featurette that Wolf dropped 
about the coordination of the stunt and how they made it happen. If you haven't watched it yet, go watch it. It's so good. It's incredible. It took so many people to bring the stunt together and pull it off and execute it as flawlessly as they did. So yeah. what you need to know is that they they didn't destroy the bridge. The, what you see of the car like going through the bridge and into the water, they had to construct their own ramp and then they digitally placed it onto the bridge. So own ramp, own bridge. It went above the bridge and then they just like CGI'd it onto the it's bridge. It's crazy. So crazy. I just so much like technical skill that went into this. Um, Tracy did not go into the Chicago River. Thank God. Like, oh my gosh. It was Tracy's stunt double. And I bring that up because we need to seriously like put some recognition on her. Like put some her respect in her name. Kelly. I know that. I'm trying to think of what her last, it's something with an S, I think. Um, yeah, I'm pulling, I'm pulling Tracy's Insta right now um, because she really like, this wouldn't have happened without Kelly. So Tracy, yeah, pull that up. There's it's, Kelly. Um, oh, well, that's her Insta. Scarangello. Yeah. 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 Uh, we just need to take a moment to recognize her and put some respect on her name because like she. Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. She did the damn thing. She did the damn thing. I think even as a stunt woman, if you're standing above the Chicago river and like you have to jump in, you're still, there's going to be a part of your body. That's like, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. And she did it. And again, like the whole crew made sure she was safe. She only spent about 25 seconds in the river altogether, but like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Just wow. Wow. And then all the stunt work. Cause again, Haley goes in, she jumps in and she goes under to find this car and also, like, I, I'm also curious, like, how deep is the Chicago River? Like, how did she find the car? Like, was it continuously sinking? I have a million questions, but. Well, it obviously has to be continuously sinking because, and it has to be pretty deep because when Haley goes back in the water to get the woman. She can't the find the car. car. Yeah, she does like, she doesn't even see the car anymore. Yeah. So it has to be pretty deep and it has to have been continuously sinking. Okay, so. That can't be right. The surface level of the river is maintained at 0.5 to 2 feet below the Chicago City. What? I don't know what that means. What did it say? Uh, datum, D-A-T-U-M. Datum? I don't know what that means. Surface level. A fixed starting point of a scalar operation. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um. Yeah, I know. I'm just curious, but like, yeah, she, and, and she's not like the cold doesn't like paralyze her immediately. She just like goes, her adrenaline just kicks in. I'm just like, I'm just, no, like, I'm just so in awe. So yeah, she, she goes in the car. There's a man and woman in the car and the way the car is angled, the man is facing her. So like the man is on her side, closest to her. She kicks that door open and she gets him out and she goes to kick up to the surface because she's she's tiny. Like she can't carry both of them, even if she is in the water. Uh, she goes to kick up with him and the woman grabs her hand. And so Haley's just like looking at her and it's just like, there's nothing she can do. It's a Sophie's choice. Yeah. Like she can't get both of them without risking her own health. Mm-hmm. And that's a lose-lose. So she has to go one at a time. And so he's closest to her. So she pulls him up first, gets him to the side. And she tries to go back down, but she can't find the car. So yep. that's our teaser. Just casual car into a river. 
Mm-hmm. That's it. Incredible. Uh, so the scenes in the tank when she's underwater, thankfully that was filmed in like a heated tank in Los Angeles. Yeah. Thank you for taking care of Tracy and Kelly. <laughs> yeah. And not making them freeze. So that that's our teaser. That's literally our teaser. Now this, this sequence, it dropped a couple of days early before the episode aired. And there was just, there was a lot of negativity floating around the internet that day. Um, just disagreeing is okay. Just friendly PSA. Disagreeing is okay. Personal attacks and death threats and hatred is not okay. Nope. Choose kindness always, please. Always. Just just a friendly PSA. Just a friendly PSA. Because I feel like, I feel like that cast kind of a, a, cast a dark cloud over this episode, knowing what was going on, like in the days leading up. I don't know. Yeah, no, it it did for sure, mm-hmm. for sure, and I think it it kind of it obviously didn't ruin it for us because we had seen it prior to any of this stuff coming out. But I mm-hmm. think it definitely, I think some fans felt like it kind of got ruined for them. But I don't think it did, you know. But it's hard for me to say that because it didn't ruin my experience with it. But no, right, right, exactly, exactly. But I mean, it was. We knew the car was going over the river. It had been in articles, but granted, not every fan reads articles. Not right. every, and I think yeah. seeing it is different, right? Like it's one thing for me to say, like, oh, like Gallo is gonna slut shame Violet, and I'm like, okay, Gallo's gonna slut shame Violet, whatever. And then you see it, and you're like, oh no, Gallo, you suck. Like you know, like I, it's one thing to see, you know, to read something and then see it actually in the scene, like you know. Yeah, yeah, and 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 if you if you didn't like the teaser, if you felt it spoiled anything, that's okay. That is okay. That is valid. It's how you express that dissatisfaction that matters. Okay. Friendly disagreements are fine. Personal attacks, hatred, death threats are not okay. Not okay. Uh, And I'm not going to speak for Brian on this one, but I will report that every time I see it. Yep. Every single time. Just kindness, guys. We're a family. We're on the same team. So rant over. I'll shut up now. Okay, so we come back and Haley is in the ambo with the guy on their way to the hospital. And this poor thing is shaking like a leaf. Just like this whole episode, I just wanted to like take care of her and just be like, Haley, honey, like come here. It's okay. Yeah. And all she's saying the whole time, she's like, did they get the woman? Did they get the woman? Did they get the woman? And the medic's just like, dude, sit back. It's okay. Like take a breath. You're fine. And so at med, they come in with the patient. We see Dylan. And they're talking and Dylan's like, okay, well, like as they, as they roll the guy over, a gun falls out of his pocket. And so Dylan's like, well, we need to disarm him. And Haley still shaking like a leaf, just like freezing her ass off in in need of a hug desperately. She's like, I'm a cop. I can do that. So the reaction you would expect was Dylan being like, Hey, Haley, like, oh my God, what are you doing here? Instead it's, who are you? Dylan. We get very few crossover scenes. These, like, you know, understandably so, you know, with COVID and everything, we've gotten very few in the last, like, year and a half, two years. And so when we get one and it's not as exciting because the two characters don't know each other, I was, like, very disappointed by that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it told us a lot of things just in that moment of him saying, who are you? Like, A, Jay and Dylan are not Facebook friends. Um, B, but they're... Yet- they're friends who know each other. They're, so I they're guess they're not acquaintances. Close, right. Like yeah. they're not close. Um, 
yeah their acquaintances that's just such a missed opportunity it was it really was i mean like obviously love seeing dylan on pd hope to see more of dylan on pd especially with the pd background like obviously loved it but like when you don't know when he doesn't know Haley, and it's just the crossover part was not as satisfying yeah exactly exactly so he's like no you need to go get checked out like you're not disarming anybody go get checked out so she gets checked out she's hypothermic but she's gonna be fine and trudy comes in and just brings her clothes and everything and Haley's like what about the woman what about the woman and trudy's like no like i'm sorry she died like they tried it's just that you know she was under for too long. And so while they're having this conversation in the background, we hear a male voice and he's like, where's my wife? I want to see my wife. My heart leapt into my throat. Cause I was like, Oh my God, it's worried Jay. And he's using the W word. Like I lost it. I was like, Oh my God, it's Jay only for them to like pan around. And it's not Jay. Yeah, it, I, I, it didn't sound like Jesse to me, so I didn't like. Oh, I for sure it, thought but... it was Jay. I thought it was Jay. No. Good it surprised out. me that Jay wasn't there, which we'll get to in a second, but like, I didn't think that was Jay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a fake out. And I saw a lot of tweets where people were like, oh my God, I thought it was Jay. I did too. It's okay. You're not alone. You're not alone. So um Haley goes to talk to him and she mentioned something about the guy in the car with his wife but he's like she wasn't with anybody like he was coming or she was supposed to go drop off money at the bank and then come home and so Haley's wheels are turning she's just kind of not sure Haley goes back to the 21st now by this point it's daylight okay so I'm guessing that this poor girl has not slept I'm guessing it's like an overnight thing so she goes back to the 21st and Jay is worried as fuck okay listen we got to talk about this Jay's phone was on silent. I think both of them need like a quick refresher that like, it's not just you now. Like you have another person to worry about. Okay. So I'm not going to, I mean, yes, I thought, like I said, I thought it was weird that Jay wasn't there, but I need to know, are you, are you the kind of person, like, do you leave your ringer on? Are you a vibrate person? Are you a silent person? Like what kind of person are you? I'm a hybrid between ringer and silent. Um, See, I'm a straight silent all the time. Like I, I, I mean, my volume may be up. And so like, if my, like, if I get a text or something, it may vibrate and like, it'll mm-hmm. vibrate if it rings, but like, I'm otherwise a silent all the time. And like, this argument is something my brother gets me on, gets on to me for like all the time. He's like, what's the point of having a ringer if you don't ever have it on? Like, how are you supposed, how am I supposed to get a hold of you if I need you? Like, yada, yada, yada. Like, cause I'm always missing, call- like, especially cause sometimes like if I'm here sitting at my desk and working, mm-hmm. like my phone can be on my bed and like, obviously I won't hear it unless it rings on my computer. And he's like, how the fuck are you supposed to know if I need you or yada, yada. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, but I don't need it. But then I'll hear his phone go off 24 seven. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's why, like, I don't want it <laughs> ringing all the time. Like, I don't want to be that person. So I, I guess I'm a J like I, my phone's on silent 24. I'm a mix between the two because I mean, I'm comfortable with it on silent usually. Cause like, you know, me, my phone is never more than like three inches from my grasp. It's always with me at all times. And I'm always on it. I'm not proud of it. I try, but uh, <laughs> if I'm trying to get work done or if I'm, if I'm doing something else where I need to be moving around like the house, or if I need to be like in point A and point B, if I'm like moving, then I'll put the ringer on because then I need to hear it. So like the other day, um, I went out 
wedding dress stuff. And my boss called while I was trying on dresses. And so afterwards I called him, he, he was, he missed it. So then at that point I put my ringer on so that no matter where I was in the house, I would hear it when he called. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> I just, I'm not like, I am, like I said, I'm a total J it is silent all the time. And I don't know, you know, I, like I said, I understand my brother's point sometimes, like if it was truly, you know, like I get it, but like, mm-hmm. It bugs the hell out of me when I hear, especially for tech, it's not even about the phone ringing. Like if I could turn text messages, like so that text messages just don't ring all the time. And it really is too, because when you obviously have your ringer on, then for example, like your keyboard click, like you hear all that. I'm like, I just don't like it. I just, I'd rather no sound, like no sound whatsoever. You, you know, you can turn your text notifications off, right? Like you can turn the Yeah, off. I know, I know, but. It's still, it's just silent all the time. Sounds like somebody's getting an iPhone lesson this weekend. <laughs> it's just silent all the time. I think the thing that killed me about this was like, okay, well, if your phone was on silent, you probably went to sleep, right? But you really did that when your wife was still at work? I mean, I'm assuming, I think this is one of those moments where it's like, maybe they're not always on the same shift. Like, right. I, but if, if, we're both cops and I know, I know how dangerous the job is and my significant other is still at work. I'm going to keep that phone on until they come home. Like just in case. Well, of yeah, I guess I would have like kept the phone on. I wouldn't have like, I still probably would have gone to bed because obviously you can't just not sleep if she's working a night shift and you're not like, uh-huh. that's not healthy either. Yeah. But like, yeah, I guess I would have kept the phone on. I just when when Jay was like, oh, my phone was on silent. I was like, not good enough. Like, yeah. And I get that. Like I said, I thought it was weird that he didn't show up at the hospital either, but I was also like, that's me. So like, I can't say anything. Right. And if he wasn't at home sleeping, then where was he? Because Platt's the one who came to the hospital. And surely if Jay was there, Platt was going to scoop him up, right? I guess. Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I think the Upsteads need to learn how to married couple. (laughs) but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So his phone was on silent and she's like, no, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Did we get the gun? Did we get the gun? I do love the moment when Jay's like, okay, slow down. Are you okay? Like answer the question first. And then they have a great hug and it's cute and everything. So Jay says he's like, the gun wasn't registered. It was from a batch of firearms that was stolen two months ago. Cool. So Voight comes upstairs. He wants to know what's going on. I just wish somebody in this moment had like looked out for Haley a little bit more because they're all letting her go like full steam ahead with the case, but also like, have you slept? Have you eaten? Like, take a breath. You just went through something pretty traumatic. Like the case can wait. Well, and Voight gets there eventually, but like, yeah, you think that would have been the first reaction, not like an hour later. Right. Like take a breath. That's why we're a team. You can go like regroup for a second and then come back. Like look out for her a little bit, especially if you know how she ticks because she's so hard on herself. So Haley had Kevin pull pod footage from the bank where the girl had dropped off the money and we see the guy waiting for her and then attacking her and then sexually assaulting her. And the realization just hits Haley and she just goes, that's the man I saved. Like instead of saving her, I saved him. Mm-hmm. it kills me she's so hard on herself and I wish that like she could just grant herself some slack yeah but I think like I would be like 
I would be in that same position, right? Like if I were, if I put myself in Haley's shoes, like I would be acting the same way. How is she supposed to know? I know. I, I know. I, and, and I, I know. And that would be, you know, the thing I keep telling myself, but like, I still think it would be eating me too. Yeah. I Especially for the little bit, like, you know, like, especially while they're working the case and whatever, like, that's something that's just, I think, going to stick with you. Like, I just, I think you have to accept the fact that you couldn't have known, but like, that doesn't mean that it still won't eat you a lot, you know, still won't yeah. like eat at you. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the what ifs are going to eat at her for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. So um, Haley and Jay go back to med and in perfect med fashion. Perfect. The guy's gone. Just as one does. And the like random nurse is like, oh yeah, like he just woke up and then he left. And I, you know, and it's like, you didn't try to stop him. Like you let him go. Yeah. Like what? Chicago med is literally the most unsafe hospital in the country. It really is though. It really is. And you know what, when it, when this happened, I had tweeted, I was like, it's the least safe hospital in Chicago. Our buddy Emily, she tweeted us back and she was like, no, in the US. I was like, listen, I was trying to be nice. So, but it's fair. Like, Chicago Med, just just Chicago Med things. Like, yep, yep. Love Square, cool. Super out of character actions from your main doctors. Yeah, totally. Bodies going missing, bombs going off. Yeah, cool. It's another day. It's another day. So they look at the pod footage and he's leaving on foot. He doesn't get in a car. He doesn't get on a bus. He just disappeared. And again, like they just let him go and he's on foot. I don't know. Haley's face is great though. When she realizes that like they fucked up and he's gone, she's just like, seriously, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, he's a John Doe. They've got nothing on him. The girl's husband doesn't recognize him. He's not an ex-employee or anything. And voice just like, all right, fine. We're going to work this backwards. Cool. Um, and at that point, Haley's got the tunnel vision on her, on, in her eyes, right? She's like, she's got the fire. And so at that point, voice, just like, okay, take a sec, go change and then come back. And then we will work the case backwards. Cool. So, uh, she goes to the locker room and Kevin comes to check on her and then Jay comes in and she just goes, are we all checking on me now? And in perfect synchronization, they both go, yes, <laughs> I love it. I love that moment. I, I love, love it so much. It's so perfect. Um, and she said, she's like, I'm fine. Like once we catch the son of a bitch, I will be fine. Cool. So they try to track where he was. He came from prior to the bank stop via pod footage. He was coming for her restaurant. This guy is like a crossover level villain. He's a giant like stalker serial killer. This mm-hmm. is crossover level shit. And he's in one episode. Um, he'd apparently been out for there for three hours. He knew her. He knew the victim. Apparently he chose her and he's always been stalking her. Fantastic. Fantastic. He's also always on foot. Not only that, but he had been sneaking into the house and taking things. Mm -hmm. Sneaking into the house and taking things. Like there's a recurring theme of Joe Goldberg and you coming up tonight. Like what in the Joe Goldberg is happening here? So creepy. And then it gets better. It gets better because the daughter, Addie, she recognizes him. I just need to pose the question. What is with PD and creepy men interacting with children? Yeah. Like we got sticker man. We got this guy. Yeah. Can we just protect the kids, please? For real though. Protect the kids. Brian, you want to take it from here? Yeah. So like you said, 
the girl, the daughter recognizes him and she says something about the fact that like, oh yeah, like I see him, you know, outside school and like he drives by in the car and he always waves at me and like, it's just super creepy. But obviously this helps get, give Haley an idea of like, you know, where to look for more pod footage, you know, whatever. And so, but there's this moment, it's like a full circle moment because she asked, she's like, wait, you're a police officer, right? Like, are you going to find him? And Haley's just like, like her, like she's caught in her throat. Like she just doesn't know what to say at first. And it's just, oh, such a full circle moment, obviously from the plat Haley of it all into now the Haley and this little girl. It's just beautiful yeah. art. Yeah. So then Burgess, Platt, and Kevin zero in on the suspect based on pod footage from the school. And like, again, they just, they all work together and they end up coming up with this fact that the guy is, his name is Blake Mullins. And basically we go to his house and we see that he keeps a box for each woman he hunts. So clearly he's been doing this for like a long, long, long time. Yeah. Not just with um, this girl, but with, you know, a lot of other women too. And so we learned that he has to access to a fake ID, which makes Haley thoroughly search every box for similarities. He's one step ahead and he's going to get away because I saved him. Well, what were you supposed to do? Let him die? Yeah. I should have saved her instead. How would you have known that? The offender who um, robbed your dad's diner? We were pretty sure it was his third robbery, that there were two before. Really? Yeah. I responded to the second one. A place near UIC. I got there just on the heels of it. The owner had been beaten, but he was talking to me. He was lucid, and he uh, told me to chase the offender, so I did, and I lost him after about four blocks and I got back to the diner and uh, the owner wasn't breathing anymore. And he died at Mad an hour later, internal injuries. You didn't tell me that, I didn't know that. Well, it's not the fun part of the story, is it? Look, you can be the best cop in the world, but you can't control the laws of nature. They will fail you whenever they want to. This is a beautiful moment between Platt and Haley. Yeah. It's it's one of the... St- I mean, there's a lot of good scenes in this episode, but, like, this is, like, the standout one by far. And and yet, I mean, it's it's not going to offer Haley the comfort that she needs, but it's the only comfort available is that you can't mess with the laws of nature. Yep. And how was she supposed to know? Yep. So, Haley ends up pulling some severed shit and basically piecing together the torn off pieces from the athletic club. And so that's where we find out that basically not all the women were members of the athletic club. And so was this guy. And that's where he's been like finding his victims. Fucked up shit. So creepy. Yeah. So upset and Kev, they go scope out some nearby hotels and they think they're about to come up empty handed when the guy just like literally walks by them. <laughs> I and love so, how course- Haley like took off after him and Jay like didn't even question it. He's like, hey, Kev, I'm going this way. Yeah. Like Haley takes after him. Jay takes off after him. Kev then goes behind them in the car. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
So she chases Blake into the gym and they basically have this like crazy fight scene that ends with her throwing him in the pool. Um, and as you point out in the outline, like it's a blink and you miss a detail, but like he does hit his head on the diving board on the way down. Yeah. And Haley has like a good couple of moments where she just like stands there watching. Like she's just watching the body in the pool. It's a prolonged moment there. Yeah. yeah. What do you think's going through her head? I mean, all the options, right? Like, what if I just leave him here to die? She wouldn't be able to live with herself. Right. And that's why she ultimately ends up, like, diving into the pool and pulling him out. Um, Again, this is the second time now she has pulled him out of the water. What? um, I'm curious. Gwen wrote this episode. What did sweet little Tracy do to Gwen that made Gwen want to dunk her not once but twice in this episode? great point it's a great point it's all great Um, but like man yeah and then like when she pulls the guy out of the water you just hear jay's little like jesus moment and it's just yeah Yeah. (sighs) um but we do get to see Haley finally gets to tell the husband that they got him and he's just like you know it doesn't bring her back like that's obviously he's something he's gonna have to live with too is the fact that like his wife isn't here because of Haley's decision. I think that Haley knows that too in the back of her head this whole time mm-hmm. is that like this guy's wife, the mother of his children is no longer here because of a decision she made. Mm-hmm. And I think again, like obviously Haley has to accept that, you know, it wasn't like, how was she supposed to know it wasn't her fault, but like, you know, we're talking about things just living in Haley's head. Like, I think that part of it too is something like why it's just always going to eat at her. I feel bad for her because she did an incredible thing. But at the end of the day, she's not going to remember how she didn't think about herself and how she just threw herself into that cold water. She's not going to think about the things she did and say like, damn, that was courageous. She's always going to dwell on the fact that she saved the wrong person. She's going to beat herself up over, you know, the, the, the other details that didn't go right. Yeah. But I think that's just human, right? Like, I think we all have moments in our lives where, yeah, there's a, like, good like something good happens in a moment and then something bad happens in the moment and like what the bad thing tends to outweigh the good that happened in that same moment and I think we all in different aspects of our lives have had moments like that mm-hmm. and so I think it just feels very human in that way yeah yeah no it, it does feel very human I will say I mean well go ahead talk about the last scene so yeah then we basically we cut to Haley's um work anniversary party and we see them all just like drinking and toasting to Haley's recruit photo um my only complaint is, is this not at Molly's and the PD you has that. just completely abandoned Molly's, but whatever. But they Voight, have though. Voight's not welcome at Molly's, remember? What? Because we don't like him? No, I think that it, that's just an unwritten rule that's been enforced ever since like season one. He's been like, he's been no. to Molly's like maybe twice since then. Okay, okay, but like, whatever. I mean, like, that point aside, the PD kids have all abandoned Molly's. All of them. And Trudy is part owner. True. I don't, I just, I don't like it. Like, I don't like it. I just don't like seeing, like, like, Med, Med has been at Molly's this season. Fire is obviously always at Molly's. And, mm-hmm. like, then we get the PD kids and they're like, yeah, we're gonna go to every other bar but Molly's. Fair. Yeah. It's fair. The last person from PD who was at Molly's was Ruzik last season. And that was it. I'm so impressed that you remember that. Well, remember he was when um 
It was like the first, like when Violet first got there and she had that case or, and she and Brett had that call where they, the coffee shop oh, and yeah. they called, yeah, that's why. Interesting. Interesting. But anyway. I'm impressed. I'm impressed you remember that. Um, yeah, the, this was a fantastic episode. It left a teeny little bit of something to be desired. And all I'll say, I mean, I just, I, I, I wanted there to be like a Jay and Haley moment, like just an upset moment where no, you're shaking your head. Why? I don't think it needed it. I don't think it needed it. I think one of the reasons I really love this. And I know a lot of, I, I know there's been a lot of discourse about this mm-hmm. on Twitter and in our like Patreon group and whatever. I think. There's been a lot of, and again, I love Upstead. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, I've loved a lot of the moments we've gotten this year, but there's been a lot of them. It's been a very Upstead heavy season. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't, I mean, like, yeah, was it a little weird that Jay wasn't at the hospital when his wife came, you know, like they found out that she had was in the river and like had hypothermia? Yeah, I think that was a little weird. But like, I didn't need anything else. Like, I just... I think one of the reasons I love this is that it felt very much just like it's it's Haley like it is Tracy's episode like let her shine yeah like I didn't need it to feel like an upstead episode too like I just I I I didn't need that from this episode fair yeah totally fair and and you're right it it was it was a strictly Haley episode it was not a Haley and Jay episode it was Haley's time to shine I think all I, I mean I think the reason I wanted an upstead scene was just because I like Again, I, I just, I felt bad for Haley throughout this hour. And I just was like, is anybody looking out for this girl? Like, I just needed somebody to ground her and just be like, hey, it's okay. Relax, take a breath. Like, you're doing the right thing. Just like, I just needed somebody to ground her and like remind her that like, hey, you did the right thing. It's okay. I think, well, I think they kind of gave that to us in two different scenes. I think they kind of gave it to, like, that was the point of obviously Kevin and Jay coming to check on her in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And then also the plat scene, right? Like, in when they're going through the boxes. Like, that it's not your fault. Like, you know, how are you supposed to know? Like, I think that was kind of the way of doing something like that. But I don't know. I Like I said, I just, I didn't need, like, there to be an Upstead conversation or anything. Like, like I didn't need that per se. It's just... You know, I think it goes back to like PD's issue with balancing. And when we've had so much upset, I think there's just, you got to find the moments. And maybe if we hadn't had as maybe as much heavy upset earlier on, I would have felt like maybe this was missing an upset moment. But like, I don't know. Like, I just thought it wasn't missing that at all. Like, I loved this episode, like, just the way it was. It was great. It was great. Yep. Yeah. Any other notes on PD? Um, no, but let's go through these listener thoughts real quick. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> um so Megan R said PD's opening was the best. I've missed Upwater's friendship and Trudy's humor. It's truly been a long time since we've seen that. Um she also said the fact that Will wasn't the one examining Haley is a travesty. It was nice to see Dylan though. This was the perfect opportunity to use Will. Yeah. I don't know why they did. I mean again, not mad at Dylan being on PD, but like yeah, why didn't they use Will? This also would have been the perfect moment for like Will to be like well, I guess I can't check you out now that you're family. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what that, when that Halstead brother scene comes, mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see what it's like. <laughs> Do they even reference it? <laughs> Does Especially if it takes place on med. Cause obviously if Andy and Diane were making that comment, I would assume it's going to happen on med. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, do they know that they Jay and Haley got married? Is that even a reference? 
does Jay just tell Will for the first time? Like, yeah. Surprise. I've been married for like months. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Heather B said, I was kind of concerned for Haley in the first half, but now I'm actually worried about her after that ending. Is she okay? I like that Jay and Kevin seem to be checking in on her, but I feel like they're finally doing a deeper look at how being a cop affects mental health. We've seen how it weighs on Jay in the past, but we can't separate it from his experience as a soldier. Haley's current trauma and reactions seems limited strictly to her experiences on the job. I'm highly concerned for her well-being and wonder how far they're going to take this. Okay, Heather put it a lot better than I did. I just wanted somebody to be looking out for her, like, headwise. Yeah. Yeah. I like, but I think that's the perfect thing. Like, I didn't need that in this episode, right? Like, yeah. Ne- give it to give that to me. Like, you know, we talk about balance, right? Like, obviously, next week is very much a Barzik episode. Mm-hmm. But I think if they're trying to strike a good balance, like next week is the perfect time for to have that scene, right? Where someone checks in on Haley, yeah, and see, like, are you still holding up? Like a week later, are you okay? Like, that's the time to have it. Like, I didn't need it in this episode, but like, give it to me next week, and then the week after that, like. If we're talking about balance, I think that's, I, I agree that someone needs to be checking on Haley, you know, especially over the next couple of weeks, but like spread it out. Like, I don't need it like in this, I didn't need it in this episode. Fair. Um, Damar said Chicago PD was such a great episode. I love the interactions between Kevin and Haley. Not only was it refreshing, but Lori's and Tracy have great chemistry. And it's a shame that the show does is that the show is just delving into that friendship. The episode also showed that Trudy was indeed the mother of the unit and her scenes with Haley were some of the best. The show should just keep giving us more Trudy content. The scene at the end made me cry as we've come a long way with the show and it was great that they gathered as a family together. It reminded me so much of the earlier seasons of the PD and the show should definitely bring back more of the team hanging out with each other. My only thing with this episode was that Jay was not at the hospital with Haley. That's mm-hmm. out of character for him. Other than that, it's been a, it was a great episode and Tracy gave a killer performance. The cast has been killing it this season. 100%. Yep. Big time, big time. Kimberly J said, Haley was a beast in this episode, but this was also a reminder that it's a missed opportunity that Trudy isn't around more. Yes. Amen to that. There were a lot of moments where she was working the case with them. And I love that. Love it. She said, even though you can tell it still weighs heavily on Haley, Platt was ultimately the one who convinced her she shouldn't feel guilty about who she saved. She's that person to the entire intelligence team. And they should let us see more of that. Yeah. Um, Leia said Upton's pre CPD arrival continuity is so screwed up in eight 11. She's been a cop for 12 years now, suddenly 10. And she told Amanda in infection part two, that she was 14 when she met Platt, but now she was 10 years old drives my detail oriented brain crazy. Oh my gosh. There's even more discrepancies. Yeah. Oh, damn. Damn. Uh, and then Haley G says the lack of Jay was weird. Did he just not care about his wife tonight? Ruzik worries more about Kim when she gets up to go to the bathroom and they aren't even married yet. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, in that one, I, Jay should have been at the hospital. I, I agree with that. I didn't need necessarily Jay worrying like 24 seven, but like Jay needed to be at the hospital. I do agree with that. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad you had a nice cozy night's sleep, Jay, while your wife was freezing her ass off. Yeah. Yeah fair any other notes on pd um no i think that's it this is a fantastic episode yeah really really like i said my favorite of the season by far it was a very busy night up on chicago very busy night this is usually the point of the episode where we wrap it up but we're not done we're not done we no, no, told no. You. no no we told you we had a lot going on this week so um, uh, we chatted with both Miranda Ray Mayo and LaRoyce Hawkins this week. We had two absolutely fantastic chats with both of them. They are both such a blast to talk to. 
Um, a lot of good, insightful answers, like really, really good stuff. So we are going to start off with Miranda's interview. So here you go. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah. It's going good, girl. We just making it through season 10. You know what I mean? I'm, I have today off, which I'm super happy about. I've been napping and, um, and snacking like the domestic house cat that I really am, you know? Nice. Nice. Very nice. So let's just jump right in with, I mean, I mean, how do we not jump after Derek, Derek did an interview with variety yesterday and like, how do we not talk about this? But he mentioned in this interview where he said the stellar ride wedding is most likely going to happen this season. I so, just heard that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cause here's, cause here's the thing we never know, like as you know, as actors, cause everybody who's writing is in LA and then the rest of us are here in Chicago making the show. So, you know, we like get tidbits here and there, but when a TV show is writing 22 episodes a season, you know what I mean? I think, you know, I don't think they know like what is going to happen, you know, in episode when they're writing episode four, I don't think they necessarily know what's happening in episode 16, 17 18, 19, 20. So I also just heard, I also just got wind of this and was like, we're going to do a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually in the middle of wedding planning myself. So I have to know, do you have any say in the Stellaride wedding planning? Is there anything you want to see for Stellaride's wedding? Um, congratulations. Number one, <laughs> that's very exciting. How long have you been in, uh, engaged? Since October. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you're like jumping on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I want for the Stella Ride wedding? I always really wanted it to be very intimate. You know, I don't I don't see them having a wedding like Cruz um and Chloe did. Um, but I also don't see it being like, you know, just like a casual courthouse thing. Um I don't know. I like, I really wanted it to be just somewhere that's meaningful for the both of them. I don't know if it's like at, I mean, it's not at Molly's. That's a great question. Like, where is it? Brandon, um, Brandon when we played Family Feud a couple of weeks ago, what did we say? The Academy? Yeah, somebody said the Academy. Someone else said the cabin. Um, the yeah. cabin the cabin is cute actually um that feels right because yeah they met at the academy which is like super cute um i i love the idea of the cabin actually that feels right um and i know we haven't talked about you know since they got engaged like was their engagement everything you thought it would be and like i'm curious what was that filming that scene like because obviously it's such an intimate moment yet there's like fire blazing all around you so like what was filming that scene like oh my gosh I just felt a lot of um I mean responsibility is not the right word but I really I really wanted to get it right for the fans I knew that you know everybody this was like a moment that everybody had was super excited to see and um 
Taylor was so great. He was like, he's always, you know, just like there, present with it. Um, um, I do remember though, he like, <laughs> we, cause we're busting out of this, like, you know, this glass window and we actually, you know, we on Chicago fire, like a lot of times, if you see actors doing something, um, stunt wise or with the tool like we're actually doing the thing and uh and he cut his hand <laughs> and so we had to stop for a second we we're like oh my god are you okay and he was then he was fine but um but yeah it was it was an exciting evening i i thought it turned out i thought it turned out really well um it was it was it was one of those shots that I, and just scenes that I was really looking forward to seeing people's reactions, you know, what other people thought, but on the day, I just, you know, tried to try on, on the day of filming, just, just tried to be present and, and give a good performance. It was very on brand for Stellar Ride to propose in the mm-hmm. fire. Yeah. I on- Honestly, I thought it was, I really, I really liked it. I thought it was, I, I thought it was great. I thought that I want to say Andrea um, and Michael, maybe, I don't know. Don't quote me on that, but I think they, that was their idea. And I was like, yes, this is very, this is very stellar ride. Love it. So there's been a lot of discussion and discourse amongst the fandom this season about Stella's absence and her presumed ghosting of 51. Um, Right. Yeah. So we've all got our feelings and thoughts on it. What are your feelings and thoughts about Stella's absence? I just think that, you know, I think (sighs) Stella is a, we love her um, because she has really like come from the ground up as far as like the show is concerned. And I think that, you know, you know, her background too, she came from like not a super supportive home. Her parents weren't there. She was an addict at a really young age and then involved in a, you know, an abusive relationship so in my opinion I think that there was a lot of like there were a lot of great things happening one right after the other and um I think there was a bit of her just needing to take a step back um in the fear that it all is going to come crushing down on her you know um I know I've had that feeling where everything is going really really well And I'm just kind of like holding my breath, like, oh, okay, is this, is this real? Is everything as stable and as sturdy as I want it to be? Or is it all going to come, you know, crashing down at any moment? Um, I also think that she, you know, and like taking the lieutenant's position, it's something that she's always wanted. It's something that Bowdoin and, you know, all of 51 have really supported her in achieving and I think she had her mind set on like that she was going to have to leave the house to like to fulfill that to step up in that way and then when the position 
was available in the house that poses a whole new set of growing pains. Cause it's like all of these people that you've been growing with now it's, it's up to you to make sure that they go home to their, to their families, their lives are in your hands, you know, on incident to incident. So, um, I think that, I think it was a, it was a bit of a, yeah, like, her just giving herself time to breathe while also really, really enjoying what it was that she was doing. Um, I don't think that she was, I don't think that she was ready to drop everything um, and jump right in. I really do think like she froze. She was like, wait, what? (laughs) Um. I have to make this decision right now. Um, which is probably another reason why she was like, shoot, maybe I'm not ready to be a Lieutenant yet because as a Lieutenant, you got to be able to make those decisions. Boom here. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. You know, at the drop of a, you know, you have seconds. So obviously that caused some issues for her in Severide though. And so the last time that you and I talked, you said that one of the reasons that you thought that Stella and Severide worked so well as a couple though, was because of the grace they both give each other. And I'm curious, like, is that why you think they were able to move on like relatively quickly from the whole like Boston ghosting fiasco, whatever you want to call that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that, I think that at the end of the day, You know, she, I think that she wants to be with him and she continues to choose him and he continues to choose her. It's always a choice. It's always a choice, moment to moment, day to day. And, um, and yeah, I think in that moment, you know, in the moment of her, like not, like texting him back right away just because she was like, ah, I don't know if I can face this right now. She wasn't, she wasn't necessarily, she wasn't choosing him, but she wasn't not choosing him. Do you know? Um, And I think that they just have enough history behind them um, that that wasn't that wasn't enough to to break what it is that they've built i think it would take a lot um it's always possible but i'm not exactly sure what that thing will be at this point you know i don't know what do y'all think what do y'all think would be the thing like that could break them that anything could at this point yeah Mm -hmm. i know it's a power it's a powerful it's a powerful thing that that they've developed so yeah for sure and in the last episode we we saw that stella finally got her ring uh we're curious though was it was it as cold to film as it was in the show it was it was very cold it was very cold Um, but we, oh my gosh, our director, Lisa Demain, um, for that episode was phenomenal. Um, she, 
she just was her energy um, just about the scene and, and her excitement for the characters was really palpable and, um, and like it, that was helpful. <laughs> um, and I mean, it's a, again, it's like, it's like this scene that people have been waiting for. It was so fun to get so dressed up. Taylor looked so handsome. You know, I felt like a princess. We're on, you know, we're overlooking the skyline. Yeah, it was fun. It was great. It, but it, yes, it was freezing. <laughs> it was um, absolutely freezing. <laughs> so we've seen tonight's episode and this will go up on Friday. So we're going to talk a little, a little spoilers for tonight. Um, oh, that's dope. Okay. So in tonight's episode, Stella mentioned Seeger's crush on Severi to Kylie and how she's like, I'm not really that worried about anything happening, but I think it's pretty clear throughout the rest of the episode that like, it still bothers Stella. So I'm curious, uh-huh. like, is that tension something we're going to see play out over the next couple of episodes? Over the next couple of episodes. Yeah. We're going to see, um, we're going to see that morph and, and evolve. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually really excited about how that tension builds and, um, and morphs throughout the next couple of episodes. Um, because I forget, because Andy Allo, like just getting to work with her more and more has been so wonderful like she's she's so dope she's such a g she's a musician she's a life coach she's just like it really is not it's unfortunate that everybody is so against her character it's like listen girls on fire would not exist if it weren't for her like she she yes you know she she thinks that Kelly Severide is attractive like who but who doesn't do you know what I'm saying like I can't but I get it for Stella you know like that's her man and I think that Stella is um she can get caught up I don't think we've seen Jella or we've seen Jella. I don't think that we've seen Stella be particularly jealous, like throughout. I don't think that that's who she is. Um, I do think though, that there is a part of her that has felt insecure lately because she, you know, because she didn't show up as her best self in the way of, you know, being communicative. I, it feels like she had like a, it feels like she had like a PTSD moment where she just kind of like, like, I'm, you know, I'm curious if, if anything like that is going to happen with her again, if it was like that, that tells, that kind of tells us a little bit more about her past and what she's been through. And it's like, I think that we do that as humans. Sometimes if we go for long stretches of time where things are really, really great. But in our, in our childhood, we, we didn't, um, that wasn't how it was then within our nervous system, our nervous system in order to like protect us will kind of 
start to go into fight or flight and tell us like something's wrong and bring us back, bring us out of our parasympathetic nervous system. So where you think everything's like chill and everything's fine um, as like a, as a protection mechanism. So I, I think that that's, that that's also part of what was happening with Stella, like where she just kind of, (laughs) she, you know, she, she froze. Um, Sorry, I went into like a bit of a ramble, but let me bring it all back around, all back around. Um, Yeah. What was, shoot, what was the, what was the question? I was gonna say I think you answered it we we're just talking about like Seeger and oh, whether Seeger. Or not, yeah exactly exactly Seeger um yeah I think that yeah she's just Stella's just feeling insecure she's just feeling a little insecure um but she really does like at this point she trusts she trusts Kelly like she really does she's in love like her she's um that this is i if i'm if we're getting married he's put the ring on my finger like what else does he need to do (laughs) to to you know put my mind at ease like i can't i can't be freaking out every time he works with an attractive woman who you know who has a crush on him and is also really cool and badass like that's gonna happen I just I need to have faith in in him and in our relationship right right so we also see this week that Kelly or Kylie not Kelly Kylie (laughs) reminds Stella how capable she is of becoming a lieutenant and why should she wait to show it and it seems like hearing it from Kylie kind of resonates a little bit more than it does from Bowdoin and Severide why do you think that is I think oh my gosh I mean I think number one a lot easier for her to see herself in uh in Kylie um number two I think I mean I think that it just means I think it means more coming from Kylie like the fact that Stella, you know, technically is her superior, her mentor. And she is like mustering up the gumption to say, hey, get it together. Like, I, I, I need you. And all of these girls need you, not in the way that you think we do. And like, this is an opportunity for you to step up for us. She, it kind of wakes her up because deep down that's really what she wants for these young women. She wants them to know not only, you know, is this career path an option for them, but that they can thrive. And so it's like, what better way to, to show them that than to actually be the one doing it. Also, when it comes to power and being able to be a decision maker and a mover and a shaker within, you know, the organization that is the CFT, the higher up she goes, the more, you know, the more say that 
she will have in how the system works and hiring more women and, and have, you know, continuing the program, making sure that, you know, these, these young women are getting trained and getting equal opportunities. Um, so I think that it just was, it just was like, um, it was a, it was like, it really put a fire under, you know, in her, under her ass to be like, Hey, that thing that you want, like you want to have an impact. This is actually how you do it. You know, expand your, your perspective and take a risk and, and show us that it's possible. Um, I know you can't obviously give anything specifically away, but now that Kylie's put that bug in her head, do we see Stella fight for a lieutenant's position? Do we see her fight for a lieutenant's position? Well, girl, you go ask me a question. You can say I can't give anything away, but then ask a question that answering it would give things away. Um, I'm going to take that as a yes then. <laughs> I mean, we see, we see, we definitely see her perspective um, shift. And I think that Stella before was she just was comfortable being where she is kind of like co-leading with, um, with Dalton. Um, and after the conversation, she is more of the mindset, like if the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to jump on it the way that I should have before, you know? Gotcha. Right. Right. So we're almost out of time, but I think it's great to end on a listener question that we got. One of our listeners, Christine, she said, over the past few seasons, we've seen Bowden really encourage Stella to flex her leadership skills. And it seemed like the idea of becoming a lieutenant, it wasn't really in her short term plan until he told her that she should do it. Is there anybody in your real life who has been like a Bowden to you and someone who made you realize that you could absolutely do something you hadn't really thought of or inspired you to take a leap? Totally. I mean, Amen. actually, um, for sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Just, um, he's been such a mentor, I think to me, um, as an actor, um, and still continues to like encourage me and help me out when I doubt myself. Um, who else? Um, I think, my my first manager that I had she's no longer my manager but um she also was so supportive so encouraging um in the journey of like coming to Chicago Fire um and oh and my roommate um that I live with right now um Emily Woods she's a singer songwriter and um, an incredible performer. I just performed, I did, I sang background vocals for her this last Friday. Um, and she has been like such a huge support um, lately in just like 
encouraging me to be the best version of myself. So, um, and also I think, yeah, just, just everyone on the show, like community, like the community that I'm a part of. I think that's a big, that's a big part for me, at least. Um, it's a big part of growth, a big, oh my gosh. And Ashton, Ashton's on this call. Like Ashton has been a huge, oh my God. I've called her just like, just weeping before. Like, I just don't, it's not gonna, I can't do this. And she's like, I don't know what's going on with you. Get it together. You're great. (laughs) But I don't know. I think that's also just part of being an actor. I, at least for me, so like so emotional, like we have so, you know, so much access to so many different, and maybe that's just people or artists, but um, having people that are, you know, willing to openly encourage and love me and hold space for me to be messy and for me to not know and for me to um like not have a clear vision all of the time and not panic and say like that's okay you you are you're exactly where you're supposed to be trust the process um that's everything Love it. Love it. Well, we want to make sure that you know Stella has become that person for a lot of the fans. We talk to a lot of listeners who just love and appreciate everything you're doing to bring us Stella each week. So, oh, thank you. I'm so happy to hear it. Like when, I mean, when she was gone, I, I was like blown away by um, how much people really love her and and wanted to see her back and um, wanted to make sure that she was a part of the show. Um, And I think at first I felt a lot of pressure by that. I wanted to like, okay, fuck, let me, let me do it right. Like, let me make sure and, and get this right. Um, But now uh, I think I've lessened that pressure off of myself and it just feels like, oh, what a beautiful thing. What a, what a beautiful thing to be able to experience in a lifetime, you know, like having so much love, um, for a character on a hit show. It's, it's pretty insane. It's pretty miraculous. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful every day, you know, to, to Derek and Andrea and Dick and, and Peter Jankowski and, um, everybody that it takes to, put this production together our crew out in Chicago winter (laughs) our fans you know everybody it's a whole it's a whole little mini universe within itself it's pretty incredible that's great well um yeah I think we're out of time thank you so much for doing this yeah it was so good to talk to you it's great to talk to you too thank you for having me on and thank you for doing the the podcast I'm so glad I got to interview her this time. Yeah, because you didn't do it last time. I did it. Right. Yeah. Right. I definitely had a little teeny fangirl moment in my heart when she like congratulated me on the engagement. I was like, Miranda, like Miranda congratulated me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, love it. 
was such a good chat. She's so sweet. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we also talked with LaRoyce and we had a blast as always. And so here you go. Uh, let's start off with Celeste. I mean, we gotta, we gotta start off with the, with Celeste, of course. So you minimize or maximize this window here. There we go. Okay. So when Kevin came clean to her, she said that she would have seen him for who he was if he had just come clean in the first place because she cared about him. Even after hearing her side of things, do you think Kevin still believes that she would have accepted him or does he still believe that she hated cops so much that it wouldn't have mattered? I honestly think that as that water has processed the conversation, he believes it. Um, I think he, he knows where he made his mistake. I think he made his mistake from living from a place of fear and doubt, right? He was living from a place that um, he wanted to be and not from a place that he actually was in. He wanted to be in this place where he didn't have to defend the badge or his brotherhood or his blackness, but he could just, he could just be. And I think he, he got a little fluid, right? And how comfortable that felt. Um, and it made sense in that moment, obviously, you know, cause we all saw the tragedy in the episode of Burnside. And we almost, I think we give that water that break, especially then because it was so much at the same time. Um, but, you know, over time, I think you do develop the love skills that it takes to be transparent with somebody that you care about. Um, and I think Atwater lost sight of that um, and he's not unaware. And I think he'll do his best next time. Um, I know a lot of fans were glad when Celeste showed up just because like Kevin was finally getting a love interest who wasn't mm -hmm. a criminal. But I'm curious though, like all of the hype for Kevin finally having like the real relationship that we've always wanted for him aside, do you think that like, Celeste is the right person for Kevin? I think, I, I think they were still feeling each other out, right? I think, um, I think Atwater was surprised at what he discovered in Celeste. And I think Celeste was surprised as well. Um, I think they both caught each other at very interesting moments in life, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, they, and they learned a lot and thoroughly enjoyed it. I think they needed each other for that moment. Um, like I said, I, I think Atwater should take the accountability for, um, for not being the most honest, for not being, uh, for, for, for living from that place of, uh, you know, want and desire and not like understanding exactly where it is and finding a way to communicate that. You know, I think she was capable. I believe that she was very capable of being able to receive him anyway because of the good times they were having. I think he did show her a part of himself that was real. Um, what's unfortunate is that he didn't play, he didn't play those cards in a way that puts her in the best position to trust him, you know? Um, and that makes sense. And it also makes sense exactly why he didn't want to, you know, kind of for her protection and safety. I think they could have grown into that eventually. Um, I think it got to a point, especially after, after Burgess kind of pressures you to, you know, keep it 100. Um, it, it's hard for you to continue to live a lie. So, you know, the timing was very unfortunate. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think they were right. I think they were right enough for each other, you know, at that time. Mm -hmm. Who's to say where they are now? Right. But at that time, I think they did a great job. 
Yeah. And you probably don't know if she's coming back or not, but if she ever did, do you think she'd be able to forgive Kevin? I do. I think Kevin got some tricks up his sleeve. Uh, I think, I think Kevin, uh, you know, I think, I think Kevin, if he listens to enough, keep sweat, uh, can put himself in a position to, to beg in the right direction, you know? Um, and, and I think, I think, I think she's capable of coming back and we might not see her this season. Maybe we see her next season. Um, but either way, I think, I think hopefully by the end, Kevin would have developed, developed and grown a little bit more. And they'll yeah. be ready for that conversation. I think right now they just need that time. You know how that can happen sometimes. You know, sometimes with that person that you care about so much, it's like, you know, if, if when something happens and the funk hits the fan in an uncomfortable way, sometimes the best thing for those two people is time and space, you know, in order for them to really grow into um, what those feelings mean. Because I think her feelings were hurt. Obviously, his were too. So, uh, you know, sometimes those feelings, if we if we respond with those right away, doesn't leave us in the most optimal position. Sometimes we need time and space to allow the spirit to filter those feelings so that we can communicate in a way that we get what we want. Yeah. And so back when Kevin met Celeste, you know, he told Rizek that like it felt good to be the guy that she just met at the bar and not the black cop. Like he didn't have to defend the badge and have to prove his blackness. And so something I know Gina and I talked a lot about, like both when that particular episode aired and then like since then is how much Kevin has mentioned doing things away from the badge. So I'm just curious, like where is Kevin's head at these days regarding his feelings towards the badge, especially after how everything went down with Celeste? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think I think they're fragile. I think they're fragile, uh, but but still strong. I think he's he's standing on the opportunity that he knows he has to to make the biggest difference. I think right now he still feels like being a cop is the best way to make the biggest difference. And until he discovers another one, um, I think that's that's where he's going to live. You know, um, right now he understands that to be the assignment. Um, and so, and he's, he's still very willing to, uh, make some sacrifices. Um, he's willing to, to turn the other cheek every now and then, um, in order to preserve what he has, the opportunity he still has to serve and protect at a high level. Mind you, who's to say how, how long he'll still be in this space, you know, who's to say, um, you know, how many situations it'll take as he watches the cops around him and in his and in his personal unit, you know, be affected by the badge. You know, you grow, you can grow into something that you're not or something that you didn't want to be um, sometimes with these in these careers. Um, and so you got to be careful, you know, so I think he's going to protect his peace more than anything. Um, and as long as he can protect and as long, I mean, protect and serve at this capacity, he'll be there. And if he finds a better way to do it, He'll be the first one to let them know. Interesting. So our listeners, of course, were thrilled when we said we were going to chat with you and they came through with a couple questions. So one of our listeners wanted to know, what do you see as the show's responsibility for the stories that it tells? You know, um, I think we, we truly just have a responsibility to um, authenticity. Um, I think we have a responsibility to empathy. Um, as storytellers, 
as we empathize for the people we're telling stories for, you know, we have to remind ourselves sometimes we know it's called Chicago PD and Chicago is first and PD is second for a reason. I think in that order, if we, if we prioritize Chicago and that comes with the stories that comes with the authenticity of the city that comes with, um, the textures that the cities provide and then, uh, PD naturally, we know that these are from the perspectives of these first responders that for so many are heroes that have saved so many lives. And right now with the microscope being on first responders so heavily, I think our responsibility is to uh, identify the empathy more than anything, right? How do we empathize not only for um, the people who are solving the cases for, but for the people who are solving the cases so that, um, you know, we, we have a, a broadened understanding of both ends of the story. You know, and so there's a there's a dual empathy almost as an as an actor as you approach it, because you know I know I know that my job is almost to make Atwater look good, but sometimes the best way to make somebody look good is to is to show their imperfections, right? Is to show where they're capable of growing from. That's something that Jason Begay told me um, in a dope way. You know, I remember we were both talking about our sons. Um, having like a fatherhood conversation and naturally our sons grew up loving Spider-Man and my son is a lot younger than his, but he told me something about Spider-Man what makes him dope is we, he doesn't, we, we watch him be courageous in a way that really creates the hero. You know what I'm saying? You can't be a hero as much as you can become a hero and you become a hero through the struggles, through being scared at first but you can only call it courage if there is fear um, initially, you know what I'm saying? And so we do our best to try to show all of those angles, right? The things that we're scared of, the demons that follow us, um, how, how we give advice to the people who we love in these situations. Um, you know, I love how we're watching Atwater now, even in these interrogation rooms, right? He's fighting for the outcome that he wants to see and not just allowing the system to make that choice for everybody, you know? Um, there's a way that you can fight against the weight, if that makes sense. Um, and that water's still, still very much in that fight, but everybody in the unit is, you know? He can only pick up from what everybody else is putting down. And so that's why I think it's special about the intelligence unit, because it's, it's a collective of people that really care, that care so much, you know what I'm saying? Like, you couldn't have a better group of people uh, either trying to save your life or tell your story, in my humble opinion, based upon how much I know everybody cares on and offset. So kind of going off of that, I know a lot of the first half of the season focused on like the Roy Haley Voigt storyline and like Voigt's actions and whether or not like they're ever justifiable and like all that mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm curious, like something that we talk a lot about, but I feel like talked a lot about, especially this season is like, where do the rest of the members of intelligence fall on like Voight's methods of doing things, especially after like nine seasons now. And like, we've always kind of said that it seemed to be like Jay, Kevin and Burgess on like one side and then Voight, Haley Ruzik on the other. But we also talked about how it felt like that changed a little bit this season. So I'm just curious, kind of going off of that conversation, like where do you feel like Kevin honestly falls like when it comes to Voight's methods? Like, do you think Kevin thinks that like, what's good for Chicago. So it doesn't really matter as much how things happen or how they get there because like the ends justify the means. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is a great question. And I've had time with this. And I want to unpack it for you without, without giving away too much. But, you know, everybody has to, you know, and I can only speak for myself, right? Right. And you have to find what motivates you about a person, right? You have to find, like, what, what is it? I'm pretty sure the same way you all do as co-stars, right, or co-hosts on this show is, like, you inspire each other. It's something about the other that admires you enough to want to pop up and work with each other at this capacity, right? And so um, we have to identify those things as well, uh, specifically. And one of the things that Atwater is playing with, I think Voight reminds him of the father figure in his life that is capable of doing bad things for good reasons. I think Atwater understands that, um, that conundrum very well. Um, and, and that's what's interesting about being a cop is you find yourself in those positions a lot. Um, and your character and, 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 you know, the way that you have to look at yourself in the mirror at night, you know, is, is what determines your decisions. Um, and so, you know, even if I didn't 100% agree with everything that Voight did or that he does or how he does it, I know I'm watching a man that's doing his best to look at himself in the mirror and go to sleep at night, you know? Um, and that's really all we can ask for is for somebody to be that honest with themselves about what they can live with. Um, and, you know, there, there are things that obviously Atwater can live with that avoid can't and vice versa. I think <clears throat> they've had that conversation before, you know, um, they've had that conversation before. Uh, and you have to when you want a unit like this, you got to communicate those types of things. So you know how far the, the person that you're next to is willing to go when you're on that battlefield because it's real. You know, so, uh, so yeah, so I, I think, I think Void and Atwater are in a great pocket. And as long as, as, as Atwater can see that kind of integrity out of that man, um, he'll be down, he'll be down. And whether he's in his unit or not, I think he'll always have respect for him because it starts with respect. And that's what I love about this cast and the team. You know, we all really have so much respect for each other that, you know, it makes it easy to go to battle no matter how hard the battle is. Yeah. So this week's episode, I mean, it's a big one for Tracy, but that aside, it opens with an Upton and Outwater scene, which is a pairing we don't see very often. Um, we are, we're thrilled up to see it. Upwater in the building. Upwater in the building. We yes. got to start hashtagging that. Hashtag Upwater, baby. <laughs> so what is it like getting to film those? And do you hope we get to see more of that pairing in the future? So unashamedly, Tracy's kind of my favorite, and I say that, you know, <laughs> and I don't have I don't have a hard time being honest about my favorites. I got a younger little sister who lives in France. Everybody in the family knows she's my favorite. You know what I mean? It's like, so don't be surprised. Um, and to to have those types of scenes with Tracy, who uh, has been such a light, right, and and lifted us up ever since she's been a part of the cast. Now I know it's rare, right? Because Offset, um, we spend a lot of time, you know, in like dope brotherly, sisterly kind of textures, right? Like she's always kind of trying to beat me up or hang off my arms or we like pranking each other or, you know what I'm saying? But we're also like the first person to like, you know, do favors, whether you want coffee or water or like, you know, I'm like, you know, it's, it's I feel for it like a sister. 
Um, and I think, I think she feels like I'm a brother. And so uh, having those scenes are always fun because you get to try to infuse that energy into the story. And hopefully I haven't seen those scenes, but I have heard great things about those scenes, right? And I think that's a dope way to kick off the episode because I knew how dark the episode was gonna get. So <clears throat> I was, I really appreciated the privilege of being able to kick it off and set a tone that would allow it to have the balance that it needed um, in order for us to really tell the story effectively. Um, that's, a, you know, overall, this is an episode that we worked extremely hard on, especially Tracy, um, with the big stunt that I had, a, I had a chance to really do some behind the scenes action um, with the big stunt with the car that comes off the bridge into the, to the river, Tracy goes in there, saves people, um, a person. I don't want to get too much away, but what happens is, uh, you know, that story is able to be told because of the intention me and Tracy had at the top. We were like, we really want to infuse this with our friendship, right? And with that energy. Um, and hopefully we see that. Um, and I know speaking of things that we hope to see more of, like by far the most popular fan question we got for you was when are we going to get more Birdwater scenes? And I know you obviously can't give like too much away, but like given that Kim is getting ready to go through this like big custody battle, like do we see her lean on Kevin? Like, will we kind of get some more of that? Yeah, you're going to definitely see that. Um, you know, and, and I think, and I can't wait for the scene. Like I said, I haven't seen it. We just like a factory, right? We just do stuff. We just do stuff. But um, I do connect to those moments. And and I can't wait for you all to see it. Yeah, you're definitely going to see it. Um, we got some more birds water on the way. And it's and it's real birds water too. Like, you got to understand, you know, birds water are their parents a little bit, you know? Um, and and in real life, me and Marina are parents. We're like the only parents in the cast outside of outside of Jason. Um, who has a beautiful family, but you know, we're starting our families and we start them like around the same time. I mean, believe it or not, was born like a week after Roman was born, you know? Um, they kind of just start hanging out. So it's, it's dope to watch like little bird water. Uh, you know, <laughs> the energy is so dope because it's so much like birds and Roman's so much like me. And <laughs> to watch the, the younger versions of them hang out is, is honestly a treat, but uh, but yeah, we, you know, we, we have that to look forward to. You know, we've grown um, as people and as artists and as friends throughout this process over all these years. So um, to get the opportunity to continue to infuse uh, our life into our art together, um, we, we thoroughly enjoy that. And we, we appreciate the fact that the fans do too. So I can't wait for y'all to see those moments because they're like parental moments, like the moments Birdwater used to have back in the day as we used to watch them like on the beat and they were kind of goofy and they made mistakes and it's like, you know, but it was cool. Right. But now the stakes are a lot higher <laughs> and, uh, and everything feels a little bit more intense, but they're still there for each other. And that's what's dope. Love it. Um, I think we're out of time based on, uh, messages we're seeing, but Lorraine, it's always fun to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming yeah, thank back you, on. Lorraine. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. And y'all keep grooving, man. Y'all doing a great job. Uh, appreciate y'all ladies. Definitely love the energy on the interviews. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Gotta love Lorraine. 
Yeah, I really love some of the answers he gave. Things I wouldn't have thought about or and I wouldn't think you know were his answers, but I I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, talking about the like where's his head at right now? I think that I think he gave a really really good answer about that how like he's just kind of going with it. He knows Voight's good for the city. It kind of kills him a little bit, but you know. Yeah. That's his thing. So love it. Love it. Uh, big thank you to Miranda and LaRoyce. Also big, big thank you to the powers that be over at NBC helping us set those up. Thank you so much. Um, as always, you guys know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, meet us at Molly's right across the board. Email us anytime about anything. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. Um, if you like the show, which we really hope you do, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. Check out our Tea Public store. Check the link in our socials for our Patreon page. All that good stuff. So, normal schedule, guys. As long as there are new episodes of the shows, there will be new episodes of the pod. So, yeah, and it, for at least the next two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So, everybody have a good weekend. Um, we will post pictures of our weekend together. First time in two years. I'm excited. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. We will see you next week. Bye.